Excelsior! Okay. So, uh, hold on just a no second. Idea. No oh, idea. I'm looking for good names here, and it's not working out. I've been sick the last uh, few days and have not necessarily done my uh, my homework. Due diligence? Yeah, just on uh, on who our, our roundtable is today. I mean, I know your names, but I don't know what... Uh, <laughs> I don't know uh, what, uh, what characters. I'm Dwayne. Hi, Dwayne. Um... Okay, so uh, yes, this is Cinema Excelsior, where we talk about uh, Marvel movies, and our roundtable today. I'm, I'm going to wing it uh, from 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 digital left to digital right. We've got uh, Daniel Watson Jones. Say hi, Dooge. Hi, Dooge. Uh, Dooge today is going to be playing the role of uh, Peter Parquois, the uh, <laughs> Spider-Man of, six, of 1602. <laughs> um, next to him is Derek Long. Hi, everyone. Uh, Derek is going to be playing the part of Miguel O'Hara, uh, the Spider-Man of 2099. <laughs> um, next to him is Nick Bester. And Kat. Yes, <laughs> yes Lydia. Um, I have a cat, too. Uh, Nick Bester will be playing the part of uh, Peter Porker, the Spectacular Spider-Ham. I mean, cool. I really, I really wanted to be the uh, the Japanese Spider Man with the giant robot. Okay, you can be that guy. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Oh God, what's his name? Forget his name. Uh, Spider Man. Oh, that's nope. Wrong window. I gotta figure this out now, or else I'm gonna go mad with rage. Mad with can rage. I be? Can I? Can I be Peter Parkour? P- Peter Parkour. Uh, the free running spider. Yes. <laughs> uh, That's the Spider-Man of LA. <laughs> and I'll I'll be uh I'll be the what in this cursory glance of alternate version alternate universe versions of Spider-Man looks like easily the stupidest and cleverest uh Spider Monkey from the Marvel Apes line. Uh Yamashiro Takuya. Yeah. Okay, you can be him. Alright. Was I... there ever a, uh, a Marvel continuity <coughs> in which uh, Spider-Man became Thor? That's <laughs> uh, probably in some what if. Uh, well, oh, is, isn't Thor famously one of the characters who a lot of people have become? Like, there was wasn't there a frog Thor? A Thor? Like a, no, a... There, was, there was not a frog Thor. Thor became yeah. a frog. <laughs> really? Yeah. I thought that there was, there, beta was Ray, whole... there was Beta Ray Bill, who was kind of a horse. Yeah, he's he's hor- he's alien horse Thor, but I thought that uh, there was I mean, uh, a period where they went through a lot of different like animal Thors. But I think that they were just Thors turned into, or Thor turned into those animals in the same way that like a wolf oh, okay. a wolf didn't replace Captain America. Captain America became a werewolf. Okay, I thought that they were I'm animals. Sorry, what? I haven't read them, so I thought that they were animals that could sudden they were suddenly the only ones who could pick up the hammer. No, I think I think it was that like Thor Odinson became a frog. Yeah. Okay, I My believe mistake. I believe if I remember correctly, I believe the only reason I know this is that people brought it up when uh, when other people were mad about the idea of uh, Thor being a woman. Now that uh, they hadn't complained when Thor had been a frog, I bet that some of them did. Probably <laughs> there he is, Cap Wolf. Cap Wolf. Oh, Wow. 
<laughs> yep. Don't leave the cap off that wolf. You don't want it to go stale. That cap wolf is cut. Yeah. I mean, is this Rob Liefeld's cat wolf? Uh, it may <laughs> cat well. Wolf, I mean, it may wolf. well be actually. Be started in 1992. Look uh, at his hand. This is ah. That is. Oh, it's fucking uh, Jay Jonathan Jr. <laughs> Jay Jonas. Oh, isn't he Venom? <laughs> no, that's the, the astronaut who is uh, what's it? What's her face's boyfriend? I forgot that JJ JJ J Junior was a uh, was a werewolf. JJ J Junior. He was not a werewolf. He was a man. You, you can call him Trip J. Trip J. Trey J. J. What did he quadruple J? Because he's J Jonas. No, no, no. Call me J. Trey J Junior. Call me Trey. Oh. That was funny for about five seconds. Anyway, um, so yeah, we are uh, we're talking today. Ray J. Jameson. <laughs> we're talking about the Amazing Spider-Man, uh, released in finally. Uh, yeah, this uh, it actually, the Amazing, the Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah, the Amazing, the Amazing Spider-Man. He's amazing. Um, so th this is. Uh, Post Tobey Maguire, post Turn Out the Dark, pre Tom Holland Spider Man, and that that He's sort of narrow about... cultural niche where America was hungry for another Spider Man. <laughs> um, it's it's hard to believe this film. Uh, I, I my eyes almost like bulged out of my head when I saw this. This film only came out four years ago. Yes, and I I recognize twelve is only four years ago, but. We're, so we're still we're still closer to that film. We're still closer to the Amazing Spider-Man chronologically than the Amazing Spider-Man was to Spider-Man Three, but only yes. just barely. Yes. Yes. <laughs> but uh, we we have had. Let's see. What was the gap between those two? Spider-Man Three and the Amazing Spider-Man. Okay. Years. And Civil War came out this year, right? Yes. Or last yes. year? This year. This year. Okay, so wait, when did the Amazing Spider-Man two come out? Two years ago. Two thousand fourteen. Right? So yeah, it, two years ago. It took them five years to reboot it for this film, and then it took them two years to rebuild it to reboot it for the MCU. Yeah. The next film hasn't come out yet, and it's already been rebooted a third time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, before we before we go on, uh, and. Have you guys ever heard someone refer to someone as going a roving? Like when they go hitchhiking or go wandering somewhere? Nope. A roving? I, nope. It's it's, a, it's a, like a slang term, like Irish, like he's gone a roving. No, we do not know this. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, no, I've well, never heard this before. Uh, okay, maybe it's maybe uh, it's only in songs by the Pogues. Where? But, uh, <laughs> or uh, uh, the Chieftains. Where are you going uh, with this? I was wondering if anyone has ever referred to someone as amazing because they had gone out to construct a maze. <laughs> or gone out to shuck corn or something. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> or possibly just going through a maze. Yeah. Like, I'm going to the corn maze. I'm going amazing. Yeah, where's Jimmy? Jimmy's out amazing. Jimmy crack corn? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> Because because of your cough laugh thing, there was very, there was a moment in there where you had your hands over your mouth like a Japanese schoolgirl. <laughs> 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 anyway. 
Yeah, so The Amazing Spider-Man. Uh, it's, uh, yes, so when, when last we left our beloved wall crawler, uh, he had gone a-dancing. Uh, he had watched his best friend die. He had, he had finally uh, grown up into a man and was slow dancing with that lady uh, at the end of that last film. And uh, there, there's really nowhere to go with the story after that, apparently. Uh, you, you can't show these adults actualizing in, in powerful, continually dramatic ways, so let's put him back in high school. So, Tobey Maguire's gone, Kirsten Dunst is gone, Sam Raimi is gone, and we now have a new cast, a new director, and a, uh, I guess, fu- fundamentally a, a new continuity for this next long series of Spider-Man films. <laughs> uh, they had such ambitious plans for it. They really did. Is, yeah. I don't know how to phrase this because uh, maybe, I've, maybe I've got it in my notes. Um, I felt like this reboot or this, this sort of resetting of the <clears throat> characters and the film and the continuity was a first in some fashion. I didn't look at the list of films. I know we've seen uh, a Fantastic Four reboot, but it was the the film that it that they uh, washed out was not one that was made into a franchise. It was just sort of a one off. It didn't feel like you know an an effort to create like a, an actual big Hollywood uh-huh. thing. And I felt like this one was unique in its. Uh, so Ang Angley's Hulk had been rebooted, but that was again but, kind of a one off and and was a. F- not a successful it's, one. It's not really a reboot, though, is it? Isn't okay, that kind of a yeah. sequel? Uh, you, you can yeah. interpret it that way, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, like, but like, certainly they don't redo the origin story. Like, there's flashbacks yeah. of the origin story yeah. in the uh, Norton Hulk, but it's not like half the movie is, hey, let's tell the or- how this yeah. guy became the Hulk. Yeah, the, that movie starts, that motherfucker is already the Hulk. Maybe the best way to think about it is, like, that this is really the first reboot of... Like a kind of beloved established franchise. The only one I can think of. The only one I can think of. Franchise is the word. The only one I can think of besides this is is not a Marvel franchise. Is the Batman franchise? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. yes, yeah. Um, and that had happened by this point, but obviously <laughs> this came out the same year. Were, were those all made by the same studio? A ten-year separation in that case. I mean, yeah. Are Nolan's trilogy all and all, all four previous films are all the same studio? It's, it's yeah, all they're, Warner Brothers. Brothers. they're all Warner okay. Brothers. It's all Warner Brothers. Yeah. I mean, I, I sort of assumed that, but I hadn't confirmed it because I've never oh. done a podcast on them, and so looked this, them up to compare. But this this yeah, will no. become, I don't want to say common as we go along, but a little more common as we go along when we start seeing, you know, well, I guess we've already seen three different versions of the Punisher, so one more isn't going to be that interesting. Yeah. And we, yeah. I guess we do get Daredevil and and Elektra coming back again, uh, but again, not uh, not cinematically. No. But uh, yeah, so so we are we are with our new Peter Parker this time, played by Andrew Garfield and, and his hair. Um, <laughs> oh my God, his hair! I, I I I spent a good chunk of this film just my mind was boggled by the amount of hair he had and what it was doing on his head. <laughs> um, He's got John Ralphio hair. It's really the best way to describe it. It's true. Now I want to see a version of this with Ben Schwartz <laughs> playing uh, Peter Parker. <laughs> I could I could see Adam Scott playing Peter Parker. 
Obviously not high school era Peter Parker. Well, unless no. they wanted to be more yes. like already settled down with Mary Jane, uh, winking at the, <laughs> the people in the newspaper. Uh, yeah, no, I could see that. Peter I don't like the, the Spider Man. The cinematic Spider-Men are so obsessed with being high school age Spider-Men uh, <laughs> that it just well, we would never see that. No, I don't think. I, I love the idea though. Adam Scott is the only Peter Parker I can imagine uh, actually selling his marriage to the devil. So if they ever decide to adapt that story, what? I, what? 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 What do you think about Adam Scott? What does that mean? No, like I like Adam Scott, but in turn, like. Adam Scott in things I have seen him in, uh, which I guess is really just party down. There is a slightly burnt edge to him. Like okay. he, he, he is, he comes off at times as someone who is not quite at the end of his rope, but getting close to the end of his rope. Um, and I think that that, uh, yeah, I can't imagine Andrew Garfield selling, uh, basically right. selling his marriage to the devil, but I can imagine Adam Scott doing it. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. All right, I, can I, see party down I would just like Adam to, Scott. I would just like to uh, thank Bester for going to the same place that I did, which was, you think Adam Scott would do that and not, when did Spider-Man do that? What are you talking oh, about? Yeah. <laughs> well, my thing is, I was thinking of Ben from uh, Parks, Parks and Rec, Rec who yeah, absolutely, because he, has, he is a golden god and amazing and a beautiful human being. Cones of Dunshire, uh, Adam Scott would never do that. Yes. But again, no, I could see, I could see Burnout uh, Party Down, uh, Adam Scott, whatever that character's name was, uh, doing it. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm genuinely curious what you were talking about. Selling his oh, marriage don't... to the oh, devil? Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Marvel retconned away Peter's marriage to Mary Jane by having Peter sell the marriage to Mephistopheles as a way of saving Aunt May's life. Okay. Yeah, so let's move on. <laughs> well, well I, I would just like I would just like to point out, and in this in this series, Aunt May had made complete peace with the fact that she was dying. Oh yeah, and had told had told Peter how happy she was that he had found Mary Jane, and how happy she was that she was dying, that she was going off to be with Uncle Ben, and that Peter had a good life. And Peter still fucking does this. So it's almost as dumb as the uh, Buffy resurrection, like in terms of it, as a move done by their friends. I, I I would say significantly worse. Okay. Um, because well, I mean, also, yeah, go on, go, go ahead. You're uh, right. That's very distinct. No, That's much worse. This, this, this is not. Yeah, this is. Let's talk about this film. This is uh, so Andrew this, Garfield. Yeah, this, this is 2012. This is not 2007. Yeah. These debates have been litigated and relitigated, and uh, the... all right. So Andrew Garfield. He is yes. a Spider-Man. He is one of them Spider-Man. Is he an amazing Spider-Man? Well, Does that's what we're going to have to find out. <laughs> um, no, so the, the film uh, begins... It, the, the challenge of making this film is you're coming, you know, 10 years on the heels of Raimi's origin story, and you're doing another origin story. So how do you make it different? <laughs> well, you dig into Spider-Man lore, and you find one of the strange, obscure details in Spider-Man history that, you know, people perhaps don't identify with the character, and that is that his parents are spies. <laughs> yep. Yeah, they, they start with that, and it's not really relevant to the movie at all. Spies? Nope. What? In, in the comics, Peter's parents are spies. But not in this film. 
well, we don't really know. <laughs> well, there's the a whole hand. Yeah. They're, they're, they're the, the whole handling of the. Yes, somehow. But it's so vaguely uh, established that mm -hmm. we don't really get any sense for the stakes, right? I yep. mean, it's just yep. like his mom and dad are just gone, mm -hmm. and he's kind of angry, like primarily at his dad throughout the whole movie. But it's sort of like, well, why do we care? Yeah, why, you know? why, why did this happen? You I know, it's one thing for us to know what happened and for him not to, or for you know, there to be some kind of further intimation that gives us a hint, yeah. but we get nothing. I mean, we, we just get yeah, a I mean, we, can talk about this more, we can talk about this more at the end when we get to the end of the movie, but, like, there's clearly some groundwork being laid for this mm -hmm. being, like, a through line through what they're envisioning yeah. as their franchise and sort of the big Lost-style mystery of the mm -hmm. franchise. Mm -hmm. But fundamentally, I don't give a shit. Really? And it doesn't seem like yeah, the movie. Doesn't they doesn't seem like the movie really gives a shit. They don't set up a desire. They don't set up that mystery. Like it's not like a classic mystery plot where you have to know like who done it or you have to know who this person is. It's sort. Of, it's just sort of like the narrative shifts completely and it becomes more of a more of just like a plot device. It's not really a run. And, and the who done it is not. It fucking Oscorp did it. Clearly, that's who yeah. did it. I, there's no, I actually, there's no mystery to who did it. I agree with everything that you're saying, but I liked all of that. I, I liked that it was just events from his life, and that was not the subject of the film because he doesn't. He hasn't gotten to the point in his life where he has any answers to address any of these things. They're just mysterious events, and he he doesn't know any of this connection. It's just world building. And the, the events of the film are just the things that he's going through. I would say it's not particularly narratively satisfying, but it does. And this is, I think we'll come back to this point again and again and again as we go through the, this film. One of the challenges that the filmmakers really had was to differentiate what they were trying to do from yes. what Raimi had done. And what happens in this through line is you establish Peter's, you know, relationship with Uncle Ben and Aunt May, not just as being you know this benevolent kind of father, father, son, mother, son thing, but you set up Peter fundamentally as an abandoned child, or a child that feels abandoned, and that informs his characterization through the film, mm -hmm. even if it's not you know particularly narratively satisfying within the film. And I think that that was a deliberate choice to try to draw a contrast. From yeah, I think I think a, that's... I think a lot of the thing. Oh, go ahead, dude. That's what I was going to say earlier. Uh, that was the the thought that I'd had about this being the first reboot of a particular type. And it's the first film that we've watched where you cannot watch this and see many of the events <laughs> in the film as anything but a reaction to an earlier film. Mm -hmm. the, the second Fantastic Four film we watched, the first film doesn't exist as far as the viewer uh, is concerned. No one They're not addressing it at all. Uh, the even the the Incredible Hulk uh, is not concerned with anything that happened in Hulk. They're not re re showing us uh, things we've already seen, but yeah. um, trying to be creative about it. This is the first film that uh, does make specific decisions differently uh, than an earlier film. Yeah, yeah, no, there's definitely. The, the shadow of the Raimi films are definitely over this. And, and again, like we compared it to Batman uh, Begins, I think that's sort of a similar way. The, mm -hmm. the Batman brand was, you know, very seriously damaged 
by the amazing movie that is Batman and Robin. Uh, I think it was more and, damaged by Batman Forever, actually. Uh, well, anyway, there's actually an argument da- for that, yeah. <laughs> it was damaged by both of those movies, and like the idea of we can do a Batman movie that you can take seriously, one of the things that Batman Begins has to do is, you know, prove to the audience that you can take it seriously. And mm. obviously there's a similar thing happening here, given the sort of critical reaction to Spider-Man 3, but also, like, they clearly understand we are doing... We are doing an origin story for, you know, probably, at least among Marvel characters, the most well-known Marvel character, the one that we really don't need to do an origin story for. So there is definitely a lot of sort of let's do the things differently than Raimi did. And personally, I think a lot of the decisions they make in terms of differentiating sort of Peter's characterization are for the better. I think there's a lot of things I'm like, I'm glad that they brought this into into Mm -hmm. Spider-Man. There are issues. Agree. There are issues I have, particularly in like the last half of the movie. But well, like, mm-hmm. I, I think that that point though is interesting, uh, particularly when we look back at Spider-Man Three, which does not have a, a great critical reputation, uh, but was a spectacularly successful film financially. It was sure. it was not a flop by any means, <laughs> and I can I can understand coming out of that, especially since Raimi and everyone involved seemed kind of burned out to, to want to go in a different direction. Uh, but there was a conscious decision made to not continue that basic narrative and that basic style with a different crew, but rather to clear the board and go back to square one. Um, and thinking about kind of the context of the Marvel universe as it is now, where Robert Downey Jr. is getting older and Chris Evans is less and less interested in doing more Captain America films. You're you're going to have these issues in the not-too-distant future where these actors uh, and filmmakers, even to a degree, kind of churn out of the process. And what's the tolerance of the audience in this context for going forward in this line versus clearing the boards and starting again. And part of me thinks that maybe the studio underestimated audiences willingness to continue and kind of reflexively went back to school. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, it's certainly interesting (laughs) because we're going to go ahead. (laughs) All right. I mean, it's certainly interesting. Uh, in the context of the MCU, because we've like all of these other reboots other than <laughs> uh, homecoming, which is co- uh, coming up. Uh, we're talking about have haven't necessarily been, you know, you can't do a re you, you can't do a reboot of Captain America. If it's still the MCU, because we already have that and it's already ingrained in like 12 other movies. So I, it'll be interesting to see, like, will they, Will there be a reboot of the MCU at some point, or do we just sort of? Oh, absolutely. Accept, accept that you know we'll just have either either a new Iron Man or a new Tony Stark as Iron Man. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, as long as Marvel is an existing studio, you know, it indefinitely into the future, and Disney does not go under, the world does not end, people do not yeah. stop making films. Then I, I think it's inevitable that eventually the MCU will be rebooted, whether it's in 20 years or 50 years or 10 years. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, it, I it's just... just like the question of when will, when will they remake the original Star Wars trilogy? 
And I would guarantee that there is something in George Lucas's contract saying that they will not do that until he is dead. Yeah. But I mean, I feel like, I feel like in the example of the MCU, like so much of the value of that brand, the sort of that film franchise, meta franchise, whatever you want to call it, uh, is in the continuity, I feel. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I guess probably at some point there they will, but I think it will have to, we will have to get to a point where the, you know, the franchise lies fallow for a little while, which mm. at least for the time being doesn't look like it's happening. Oh, I don't imagine. No, no. It won't be anytime soon. I'm just saying yeah. that, you know, in our lifetimes, probably. Yeah, so, our kids maybe will be growing up with a different MCU, but I feel like. And then they'll be like, uh, look at you with your old man Marvel movies. We'll be like, yeah. shut up, kids. You don't know things. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, speaking of the the all new, all different MCU. Yeah. Speaking, speaking of, of kids who don't know things, uh, young Peter grows up to be Andrew. Oh God. And his hair. Can I just say that that actor who plays young Peter, uh, he's, he is, uh, he's the actor who plays, uh, the, the, the TV show on FX, the strain. They recast, uh, this child actor, in the second season, and he's replaced by this actor who plays young Peter. And I can only believe that they recast him because the original actor was too likable and they wanted to take the character in a darker direction <laughs> because he is the most... I I generally have no problem with child actors as Jesus. long as they're good actors. But this kid in this show... I want, to, I want to punch him in the face every second he is on screen. I don't understand why. Well, now, this is a... Gilbert Gottfried of child actors, except I think Gilbert Gottfried is actually pretty funny. So, <laughs> this this is, I, I just want to jump in here with an interesting side note. This guy, oh, God. He wasn't as the bad middle, as this. The, <laughs> middle, <laughs> the middle of Gwen Stacy's brothers, like, the, the, she has an older brother and, like, yeah. two younger brothers. The middle one... Up your what, Dad? Is... is is the is the child actor who they used to recast young Sean in Psych. So this movie has at least two child actors who have recast yes. other roles in cable television shows. Nick, when we were watching this film for uh, the second time, Hillary pointed out that actor and said that exact same thing. And I got to reference uh, Stefan's text comment about Ernie Hudson, perhaps best known <laughs> for his... Uh, <laughs> His role in the original Ghostbusters films. Uh, and Perhaps. then Nick's comment that he was uh, cast as... Uh, he was Gus's dad in one episode, and then it was uh, Keith David. Yeah, he was recast as Keith David. Anyway, so this kid that Dooge doesn't like grows up to be Andrew Garfield, and now you know the rest of the story. No. Um, so, uh, he's Andrew Garfield. I'm going to have to... Oh, my God. All right. Yeah. And comment later during that car saving bridge scene. Yeah. So Andrew Garfield, um, our, our, new, our new Peter Parker. Uh, he he's a uh, an edgier Peter Parker. He skateboards three feet in hallways. Yeah, he's he, got hair that goes up. He cuts uh cuts holes in his sweater so he can stick his thumbs through. <laughs> um, yeah, he takes photos. Yeah. Stefan, haven't you seen a kid's fashion these days? Uh, those uh, sweatshirts come with the holes already in them. No. Um, yeah, he, he takes photos with uh, his old-fashioned Leica camera that somehow gets onto his computer as well. Um, yes. But basically, he, he's hipster Peter Parker. Like, I know Peter historically grows up in Queens, but this Peter comes from Brooklyn, clearly. Um, he is 
basically going through his Peter Parkerness, where various members of the school insult him, and Flash Thompson beats him up when he tries to save another kid who's being bullied. Played by the son from The Leftovers. Uh, in that fight, cast? when when Flash beats him up, he punches him twice, and then it escalates to a full-on kick in the abdomen that was, like, I mean, that was a major escalation very quickly. Yep. Um, but Peter is, uh, I, I guess, kind of protected by Gwen Stacy, played by Emma Stone, whose, pow- whose superpower is emasculating Flash Thompson. Um, I have a question about this scene. How, how did you guys interpret this? I was assuming that she was actually, like, distracting him by making a real date with him. That they did, they, she was not referencing something that existed before. I assume she was tutoring him. Yeah, I, th- I thought he, I thought it was a jab yeah. at the fact that he was being tutored by him. By her. I thought that she was inviting him over to her house, but in an in an embarrassing fashion because she wouldn't she wouldn't make up those or you know present those details as if he did not already know them. Uh, you know, my house after school three thirty or something like that. Uh, it, it felt like she was making that up on the spot, ad libbing, but kind of buying his attention with a date. No, I, but I, doing I, it in an embar- in emasculating fashion. No, she 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 was reminding him and everyone around him very publicly that he was not that smart and that she was carrying him along. Well, I, I mean, I feel like this is up for interpretation because it doesn't. I, f- I feel like it, reference it. I feel like it but, is an interpretation that is not particularly significant to the plot. Well, I think it's significant to her character, though, because she, I thought that she was an interesting character in that she is supernaturally self-possessed and Competent. emotionally mature. And For a 17-year-old, yes. For a 17-year-old, well, she communicates, yeah. she, she communicates she more clearly about... She so much. She communicates more clearly about her emotions and more directly about what she wants out of life than almost anyone I have ever met. She just immediately yeah. says the thing that she wants. She talks to the people who she wants. She addresses her father as if they are equals, and he respects this. That like this is an unusual presentation of a high schooler. Hey, yes. you got you gotta gotta be a special kind of high schooler if you're gonna live in a chocolate house. <laughs> also, that's there's a lot of weird shit going on with her as a 17 year old girl. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Gwen and Peter have a little bit of meet-cute over Peter's concussion, and then Peter yes. goes home, uh, where we meet, or I guess we get some, some quality time with uh, new Aunt May and new Uncle Ben, played yeah. by lov- lovable old Hollywood actors, uh, Sally President Trump, Uncle Ben. And President Uncle Ben, Martin Sheen. Um, Jen you're referring... You're referring to his character in uh, Spawn, right? Yes, yes. Pre- President Martin Sheen from Spawn. Yeah. Um, I was actually... So, a c- couple couple interesting things in this. First of all, this is Link 2 in our uh, chain of Aunt Mays, each of which is younger than the last. Uh, yes. We had Rosemary think... Harris, who was the doddering old woman. Then we have Sally Field, who is... An older lady, but you know, was kind of a sex symbol in her youth, and is not that aging. This is a debate that Hillary and I were having as we watched it. Um, Should she be older? Because if that is his father's brother, then are we to assume that there was a great age gap between the two brothers, 
or that Peter was not born until his own parents were much older because they they appear more like grandparent figures. Yeah, Sally Field is almost 70. Yeah, so, I, was, I was about to say, I bet Sally Field's a lot older than we realized. Yeah, she just looks yeah. good for her age. But then you, I the, mean, the third one you she have... and Martin Sheen, Sheen seem she age is... appropriate in this film for each other, not so much for Peter. Yeah. Well, yeah, she is, yeah. Uh, she is, she is 69. She'll be turning 70 later this mm-hmm. year. Um, so yeah, I mean, well, let's see how, how old is the, let's find out how old the actor playing his dad is. And then like add 10 years onto that to get what is, what the age difference would be. Cause presumably there's like a 10 year gap here. Uh, Cam- uh, Campbell Scott is 55. So yeah, they, if, yeah, if you assume, right. it, you assume it translates, but I mean, I guess 55 is, is not an unusual age to have a high school-aged child. No. Uh, but... No, but, but I mean, and if and if he's 55 or, you know, in his, like, early 50s when they have to give up Peter, mm-hmm. then there's only, like, a... They had oh, right, Peter when been they dead were older. And, yeah, so, you know, he might be, like, should be 65 now, and his, his brother's, like, five years older or something like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it could work out. Like okay. obviously, it would involve th- them having had Peter, you know, in their forties or something, which is not unheard of. Yeah. I mentioned it at some point because it, Hillary w- was watching the film and realized that she had never thought about Peter Parker's parents before yeah. at all. Nope. Had never considered who they were, or, you know, how they were related to Aunt May. Or Almost Uncle ben. like it doesn't matter to his. And family. she had yes, she had unconsciously sort which... of treated these characters as if they were his grandparents, not his actual article. yeah i think well, i mean and, and which certainly is... with the rose certainly with the rosemary harris sort of vision of aunt may that's very much grandmotherly sorry derek yeah no i mean it's an interesting choice to make a gesture toward including peter's parents in this mm-hmm. film which is why it's kind of inexplicable that they that that plot line just sort of drops out or that it's as minor as it is because it could have been an interesting way <laughs> to differentiate this you know the the mark webb vision of the character um yeah they're as, they're, a, as opposed to Raimi. we have not we have not really talked about how apt uh, the director's name we, is we are so, I, I, I will yeah. say we, we are maybe 10 minutes into this film right now so we haven't talked about a lot of things um, that's true uh but yeah, no, certainly you can imagine a version of this movie where the, you know, the fate of Peter's parents is very, very important. And you might imagine that from watching the first 10 minutes of this movie. Uh, and then like it occasionally pops up, like he finds the briefcase and like he has like two conversations with Kurt Connors that seem relevant to it. And there's that weird final scene at the end. And then otherwise it does not goddamn matter at all. Nope. So we have Aunt May, we have Uncle Ben. Um, I'll, I'll be controversial here uh i really didn't care for martin sheen as uncle ben really i thought he was fine but he had a lot more screen time than cliff robertson did and registered a lot less than cliff robertson did in the screen time he had i they do they do a lot of weird things with uncle ben and his death and sort of how it plays out uh in this movie is bizarre in a lot of ways as i'm sure we'll yeah. talk about it, 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 later. yeah, yeah. It, it might not be the performance itself as much as how it was used and the way that it was structured mm-hmm. around him but huh. he, did, he didn't register like when cliff, cliff robertson's job in the Ramey version was to show up be on screen for 10 minutes and die and martin sheen has a little more to do and he's on screen mm-hmm. yeah. for a, a lot longer, but yeah, I, I, mean, I, I think imagine... that he did a pretty good job of like presenting 
almost the ideal, like iconic father figure. Everything oh, that he yeah. does is perfect. He's like, fine. He he he's in terms of how he's written, like he's insightful. He he understands Peter the way that it, like he can see through all of Peter's BS and understands oh, yeah. this boy mm-hmm. better than anyone on earth. Which I felt uh, raised the stakes for his death and really uh, like. I don't know. I, I felt that his his uh, his need to try and do right and his struggle to to reverse his behavior after the death of his uncle. Maybe yes. Yeah. I, I think mean, I feel like. Go ahead. Derek. I think part of the I think part of the problem is that uh, Martin Sheen's star image doesn't quite accord to this character. Like they make a big deal about Uncle Ben being you know a blue collar guy who stopped being guy. able to help yeah. Peter with his homework when he was 10. And, you know, when I think of Martin Sheen, all of the associations that come to mind are like President Bartlett, like who Mm -hmm. I do not Bartlett from the West Wing. Okay. Um, (laughs) Not from Spawn, nor his, uh, his presidential candidate character from uh, the Christopher Walken, the Dead Dead Zone. Zone. No, no. Okay. I mean, there's, there's a certain quality star image that doesn't quite scream like blue collar. Well, even even if you go back to something like apocalypse now, he's, he's more intellectual. Yeah. Yeah, So, I mean, I think, I think dude is right that like, we get a lot more of sort of what, uh, what the relationship between Peter and Ben is during Ben's life. And Mm -hmm. I like a lot of that, Mm -hmm. but like, there's a fundamental narrative purpose that uncle Ben serves in the origin story of spider-man yeah and is and it is and it is for him to die tragically and in the process instill some like really important inspiring message no and i think there's a he died he, he he's got the dying down but <laughs> given the fact given the fact that we have cast you know probably you know uh you know fucking president bartlett a guy who should be you know uh giving us a very very inspiring speech Oozing it just feels like we don't really get like the message of uncle ben uh in the way that you kind of expect to okay and a movie like this i would i would addend what you just said with uh right. i think that one of his major uh purposes is that he dies tragically and it is directly as a result of Peter failing to do something good, failing to live yes. up to who he yeah. could be. Because I think of there being, like, including the DC <laughs> universe, three major superhero characters who are bound by their morals. Superman was raised to do the right thing. Batman does the right thing because he, he has this need for vengeance. And Spider-Man does the right thing because he's terrified that if he doesn't, terrible things will happen. It's, it, he sees bad things as a direct result of his, his own failures, and he bears this moral responsibility, like the weight of the world on his shoulders. Yeah, which, is, which gets to another problem with this movie, though, is that I don't feel like this movie gives us enough of that bearing down on him. I like agree it, with that. It feels to me like, in terms of him doing things, something heroic... Outside mm-hmm. of sort of the final showdown with the lizard, I the only time he saves anybody is that kid in the car. The rest of his the movie is him sort of endlessly ch- tra- chasing down long haired blonde criminals, trying to find the guy who killed Uncle Ben, and never doing it. I like never. I love that he never caught him. But but here, here's here's the but thing with 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 that 
point of him never catching him. I actually also like that he never caught him because the the implication then thematically is that that guilt remains unresolved. Mm-hmm. I think where the movie tries to get a little too clever is when it also makes everything that happens with Kurt Connors a direct result of Peter's actions. And Peter oh, has that, the I opportunity like to resolve that. And I, I like that there is a reinforcing of that theme of responsibility. But if you want to play to the idea of Peter being motivated by, to some degree, baseless guilt... The idea yes. that he has to be involved, even when it's not his responsibility, it undercuts that a little. But we're we're getting we're getting way ahead here because we haven't well, even, we haven't even gotten to the Oscorp internships. Uh, I would I would just well, do you feel that we should go in chronological order or can no, we, we just we're we're, we're we're a little a little down that road right now? Um, okay, because um, I uh, I just wanted to say something that I'm trying to remember right now. So I'm continuing to speak and giving myself a moment to think uh, about, Oh, I, I liked that he was directly responsible for uh, the creation of this bad guy. And presumably for the, this formula will also be what creates the green goblin and probably other characters as well. Should, you know, I have, I know nothing about the second film. Seven sequels. Yes, uh, but I hated the way that they did it because there's absolutely no explanation for why he just hands this formula over and then lies about it. Meh. Like, he, obviously this thing was hidden by his father for some reason, uh, and he, he knows nothing about this man who, on first viewing of this film, I thought that uh, Dr. Connors was directly responsible for the death of his former partner, and I felt that we were supposed to think that. Uh, and it wasn't yeah. until watching it again that I felt that what he says to Peter is actually genuine. He was angry at uh, Peter's father for abandoning him at, as a friend, as well as a, a, a research partner and the, the genius who was, you know, going to lead them on to fame and fortune. Um, but he also was aware that Oscorp had probably killed this man and so didn't want to uh, interact with the family at all. Uh, so he, cause he kind of felt the guilt of that. So, so and I felt that, Go ahead. I was gonna say let, let's let's get to Kirk Connors, um, which basically Peter Peter finds a briefcase underneath uh, in his uh, uncle's basement that had been laying in wait for a plot point to stumble upon it. Um, he Did. finds in this case a busted uh, refrigerator. Yep. Uh, he finds information that leads him to Oscorp, where Kirk Connors works, uh, which he does by going through his father's papers, talking to Uncle Ben, and then binging it. Um, <laughs> Although one of the things I noticed while watching it is that none of the information that Uncle Ben actually provides really seems necessary. Nope. Because it seems like if he had just Googled his dad, <sighs> sooner or later he was going to find articles about about you know his dad's cutting edge biotech well, not, stuff. Not if he's using yeah, it. Not he if he Googled it, he had to bing it. Yeah. <laughs> the Excuse the me. relationship that Peter has to his school, to Gwen Stacy, to science, to uh, his own academic abilities is all very muddled and inconsistent. What do you mean? Did because... you see that bitch and door lock he has? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's clearly a, a science whiz, second in his class, which means that he is in classes with Gwen Stacy and therefore has known her for a long time. But he is not involved in any of this, the, the world of science, uh, such that he has never heard of this genius, nor has any idea that Gwen Stacy is involved in this lab. Uh, it's a complete coincidence, apparently, that he sees her here uh, and he he's a science genius, but he's never excelled 
at all or become involved in any scientific extracurricular activities? That is almost as shocking as the fact that uh, the, Dr. Kurt Connors is played by an actor named Reese Ifans, who I know we will all remember as uh, Adam Sandler's character's older brother, the smart son of the devil in the movie Little Nicky, and uh, who none of us have seen in anything since then, uh, because he's, he's clearly had no career. Isn't he the chief nihilist in the, in the Big Lebowski? No, that's Peter Stormare. Uh, oh, I get, no, Reese Ifans is a very famous actor. I was joking oh, that yeah. his most famous role was Little Nicky. Like uh, sorry if I played that too straight. Yeah, yeah, you played it too straight. <laughs> yeah, apparently, yeah. I've, I've, just, I've just learned that apparently in my entire life I've been confusing these two men. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you, you thought Reese Ifans was feeding Steve Buscemi to a wood chipper. Anyway, so we get, we get Kurt Connors. Uh, Kurt Connors yeah. is uh, the world's foremost herpetologist. And let me tell you, as someone who is married to a herpetologist and who watched this with a herpetologist at my side, there are some issues with the way this film portrays herpetology. <laughs> wait, um, wait, you're telling me that Cynthia is not a rock star scientist? Uh, well, wait, you're married to Reese Ifans? I am married to Reese Ifans, that's correct. <laughs> and as we were cuddling up on the couch watching this, he leaned over to me and he said, that's not true, you know. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm assuming that the main objection is that herpetologists uh, get giant grants and start co corporations uh, like Oscorp. Yeah, a big, a or, big or are interested it. in figuring out how to regrow grow limbs. Yeah, I, I would say a, a few things. One, the, the fact that he is world famous and working for an enormous biotech firm where he has limitless resources uh two uh the regrowing limbs bit three just little details like when he's particularly when he's talking about the idea when peter asks him you know uh what kind of predators would go after a lizard or reptile and, he's, and his response is reptiles are usually the apex predator in their environment and my wife I, I wondered like, no, about the no, that's not true. Are they? No, I don't think that's true. Because nope. there's a lot of tiny little, tiny little lizards. Yep. What are you talking about? So Kurt uh, Connors, he's yeah. got one arm. Uh, he's obsessed with a world without weakness. Um, and yeah, he's he's trying to pioneer cross-species genetics. And it's in this lab where Peter, who has snooped into an intern group by masquerading as, what's the, what's the kid's name? Like... Eduardo Gonzalez or something like, something that. like that, which I was wondering if that was a uh, if that was shade at the fact that uh, Andrew Garfield played a Latino character in uh, the <laughs> the social yeah. network. Yep. Yeah. Which he, my, he, my, my googling, everything. which my googling to try and figure out if that might have been a reference, uh, led me to discovering that there is Peter Parker, Mark Zuckerberg slash uh, out there to be read. <laughs> That's why you should have binged it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Eduardo Guerrera. Yeah. The, the, the other thing, speaking of Bing, in my notes I talked about how uh, how it's nice that they uh, came up with a movie search engine that actually looks like a real search engine. I did not notice it was Bing. I just assumed it was one of those fake on-screen uh, search engines. I go, oh, look, they got something that actually looks like a real search engine. That's nice of them. That's a good description of Bing. It's like a real search engine. Um. No, so Peter starts snooping around Oscorp, which for a multi-billion dollar biotech firm run by a sinister dying billionaire has terrible security. <laughs> terrible. And he Yeah, has, then he speaks like the, to the speaking machine. 
what are you yeah, talking it, about? Is it, is it unusual for the single door that divides the almost entirely public section of a, of a building from the entirely top secret section of a building to have some kind of visual lock that you would have to hover over like you're standing at an ATM uh, <laughs> trying to block? Yeah, it's like, it, it's like if you had to spell out your password every time you entered it on yes. a yes. computer. <laughs> so he, he ends up in this bizarre room filled with spiders, spinning webs. The spider-shaking room. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a room that I, I couldn't tell if that was the room's function or if it was just this incredibly esoteric security protocol where when it detected someone in there, it just shook a bunch of spiders down on them <laughs> to try to cause them to scream and run. Well, I, I think regardless of what this room's function is, I think we can all agree that were any of us to happen into this room in similar circumstances, the first thing we would do would be to walk into the middle of it and just reach into one of these webs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I would definitely I would definitely be snooping around mm-hmm. in a room full of glow-in-the-dark spiders. Yeah. It's my, it's my, it's my number them, one yeah. dream. Now, to mm-hmm. be fair, we mock him. But he does get bitten by a radioactive spider and become Spider-Man. So who came out ahead oh, on that exchange? I don't think that's it- how he became Spider-Man. I must have blinked during that. I just thought that, you know, he it, uh, that that was the room's function was to turn people into Spider-Mans. Yep. It might have. I to be fair, I don't think it was a radioactive spider. It was genetically engineered spider. Yeah. This is this is clearly gene- this is biotech. This is not radioactive spiders, which is nonsense. So good for them to update it to yeah. glow just, in the dark spiders making silk in a the, room. It's the kind of work that gets done <laughs> at the Columbia silk? Department or of were they? It's is not this silk. Production? Spiders don't spin silk. Is is this the production room what? where they make those steel web capsules? that he repurposes after buying them from the same company later in this film. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know because the movie doesn't bother to, uh, yep. to consider these sorts of questions. <laughs> so Peter gets bit. He falls asleep on the New York subway, which is not a good idea. Having ridden on no. New York subways, that's a terrible idea. No. Uh, he gets into kind of a weird comedy slapstick fight on the subway, um, which... I, I don't know. I like the idea that uh, the New Yorkers on the subway are not that freaked out by him doing all of this stuff because they live in New York and ride New York subways regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Do you also like the idea that his spider sense uh, reacted only to a drop of water falling on his forehead and not to having else. an entire ice-cold bottle set on his forehead? Yep. It, it's <laughs> well, very... That was the exact moment that the spider powers kicked in. Oh, the spider okay. powers are water between activated. the bottle Did and you know the that? drop. All yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every oh, time so this he was after his, midnight. Every time he uses his spider powers, he's right by a body of water. It's so obvious. Yeah, like, like <laughs> spiders. I've seen the movie Signs. I know what bodies of water are all about. So he gets back to uh, to Aunt May and Uncle Ben's house, takes all the food out of the refrigerator, including Aunt May's awful meatloaf. <laughs> Yes. A lot is made of this meatloaf. Yeah. How many meatloaves have I made for you? It really does become kind of a borscht belt thing there, too. Yeah. How many yeah. meatloaves have I made? Why didn't you tell me I like the meatloaf? This is one of my favorite moments in the film, because what we're seeing from uh, Aunt May and Uncle Ben's perspective is their adopted son has just come into the home clearly on drugs. Oh, yeah. There is no oh, other interpretation for this. And they trust him so implicitly that they're fine with this. Uh, uh, Uncle Ben, 
who I felt one of the things I liked about Martin Sheen's performance is that you always get the feeling that he just knows exactly what is going on in some fashion. Ben, and what's happening? Kid got bit by a genetically engineered spider. He's, he's like <laughs> defending uh, Peter's right to be young and stupid to Aunt May. And uh, then when he goes upstairs, they just uh, go back to their, you know, couple's banter. Yeah, 37 like, years it, of marriage. She she asks him if he's drunk and he <laughs> says no and they leave it at that because yes. that was apparently the only option that they are concerned by despite mm-hmm. the fact that he has the world's greatest munchies. Oh, yes. He is, and he's he, sweating he, profusely as if he's on some kind of powerful psychedelic. And he is eating, he is eating frozen macaroni. Frozen macaroni and cheese. Uh... So he goes upstairs. He has a little body horror moment that's kind of played like something out of the fly. Uh, keyboards prove no match for his spider powers as his keycaps stick to his fingers. He, he, is, he is sticky only when it is uh, narratively funny for him to be sticky. Yep. And yeah, this, this is actually the point where I realized, going back to the Raimi film, just how different the pacing is in this mm. film for a minute. Because this is happening mm-hmm. at about like the 30, 45 minute mark. Uh, in the Raimi film, we had the spider freakout scene about ten minutes in, and I, I'm wondering if yeah. that's if that is a sort of deliberate filmmaking choice that the filmmakers have decided we're going to focus on these different parts and then get to this, or if it's just kind of a reflection of the last decades' general trend toward decompression in films and spreading things out and r- longer running well, times. I, I did feel that the the montages for these revelations to the character of, of his what his powers are and then practicing these powers, I felt that they were a lot more uh, compressed, I guess, to use the opposite of what you just said, that I, I felt like they were very rapid fire. And I, I liked that aspect of them because they're acknowledging that we've seen these things before. We don't need to spend a lot of time on the mystery of this character trying to figure these things out. Uh, they're like, okay, this is him learning these things and discovering it. But I did, I didn't feel that any of the slapstick humor really connected with me, um, and I, I felt myself oddly disappointed at how quickly he came up with the costume. But I liked the way that yes. they revealed the costume. I liked that POV shot. Mm-hmm. But what I really wanted was like a rapid montage of four or five other terrible-looking costumes with completely different colors or something like that. Yeah, he goes. Uh, he goes straight from I'm a guy in a red ski mm-hmm. mask and that's it to I have, you know, the suit okay. that in in the MCU Tony Stark made for me. Yeah. I have just made that myself. Yeah, it looks like a suit that is made by a professional superhero tailor in a world where superheroes request these things from him regularly. Yeah. Like the guy from The Incredibles. And that he can or make the guy for the guy four from... teenagers from Queens who can't <laughs> Yeah, that's them. also... I also had that same question during that whole montage of does does Peter have a job? Where is he getting the money for you know the highly experimental fluid for yeah. his uh, mm-hmm. things? And he's clearly buying all sorts of parkour gear to do all this jumping stuff. Fluid and and wait, then he wait, uh, wait. Hmm? Uh, you mean in the addition in addition to the steel web capsules that he's buying from Oscorp. Yeah, no, like, yeah, where does he get the money for that? Where does why, he get why the are money they sticky? It, oh, does he actually create the fluid that makes them sticky or stick to things? Because I was unclear on exactly what is happening as he's creating this this web uh, web mechanism that he uses. Because he's, he's buying I, cartridges of the steel webbing 
from Oscorp. They give us that little commercial for yeah. them. Uh, and then he modifies them somehow to turn them into this like useful web for himself. Uh, was yeah, was the implication that he had invented part of it? I invented the shooter. Okay. Yeah, but, I don't know. I, I assumed that like the the sort of the physical qualities of that material were not his design, just sort of the yeah whipping. Um. Yeah. Okay. Th that is what I assumed too. Uh, and I was. I don't know. I can we address very quickly how Peter seems to operate within a world where he has never met anyone before, but clearly has a history as a, a character. Like the the fact that. Uh, he, that he, he doesn't he, appear he, to have met Gwen Stacy before, but he's taken a lot of photos of her, and they've had classes together for a long time. Did you guys feel like that yeah. was really weirdly done? Yes, I like yeah that whole that whole concussion conversation, which clearly seems to be the first conversation that they have ever had, mm -hmm. uh, seemed very weird to me. Uh, and yeah, he doesn't seem to have any 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 kind of like support network or friends. Mm -hmm. in high school at all to you know a frankly absurd degree like even even people who are ostracized in high school he's you know he, he he's a you know geeky guy but clearly you know a cute boy he's going to have you know a few friends yeah and i mean that teacher knows him so they're really gesturing at the fact that this is not a new school uh but yeah. it, it does feel like he's just arrived it's, here it's or something just, it's just poor characterization okay yeah because uh I mean, or, I want to be clear that when I watched this the first time, I really liked this movie. I actually liked it more than I think any of the any of the Tobey Maguire, Sam Raimi ones. Uh, but on second viewing, I, I it was just obviously rife with plot holes and odd uh, sort of half-hearted decisions uh, to build the world. Well, speaking of, speaking of odd half-hearted decisions and plot holes, <laughs> let, let's let's move ahead a little bit. We'll move. There past... are so many ways you could have could go with this. <laughs> I don't let's, know. Let's let's move past the uh, Coldplay music video training montage. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> we spent so long on that go on goddamn skateboarding. We spend probably five times longer on his skateboarding than we do on him coming up with like all of the mechanisms that let him be a superhero. And I would have sworn that I had read the, in some description of one of the emails from the Sony hacks that the the Sony producers were trying to come up with something cool that the kids were into uh, for this Spider-Man to do, and skateboarding was the the specific activity of choice. I believe that. they had some they had some market research from ten years before that all of the kids were into <laughs> skateboarding. Uh, so. You know, Tony Hawk pro skater is super cool, so let's have some. Uh, <laughs> let's uh, let's have him skateboard. So we uh, let's okay. So he's learning his powers. He humiliates Flash Thompson. Uncle mm -hmm. Ben chews him out in the hallway, um, including pulling a really great "I'm going to embarrass you in front of the girl that you clearly like" uh, dad <laughs> moment. Oh yeah. Um, a, a plus. Yeah. In my notes, uh, I even grade him and give him an A plus. He's on got you on his computer. You know that. <laughs> this, this scene in particular, this and there's one or two other scenes that I like really stood out to me because for such a high budget film, it's odd to me how many scenes are just Andrew Garfield and one other actor, or just Andrew Garfield. Like this high school is utterly 
empty. It's two people and standing at a cross a section in a hallway. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and there are only three other students in the entire class. Flash, Gwen, and that, gir and that girl who's painting that Flash also seems to want to beat up. Well, at least in the basketball on the basketball court, there are extras in the background. And the yeah. the scene where he and Dr. Connors are in the lab, they're the only two in this very large lab, which I assume would, even though it's a secret part of the lab, I still felt it, that it was really empty. <sighs> but, but neither yeah. of them are as bad as when he is practicing his powers and using the webbing for the first time and swings through an entirely empty New York there, City there street. There is no street in New York that is that empty at any no. time. Ever. Inside yeah. and outside. When he's on top of the building and falling, you can see cars moving. When he gets to the street, there is not a human being in sight anywhere. What is going on here? Was this a deliberate decision? Did they decide not to hire any extras? Did no one from Central Casting just show up at that cattle call? <laughs> uh, another Spider-Man movie. Not that one, though. No. Uh, oh, it must be out of date. Yeah. It's an old list. <laughs> <laughs> So no, that, all of the all of the Spider-Man appropriate extras were still tied up in "Turn Off the Night" or "Dark" or whatever the fuck that stupid off, turn, was called. Turn I think it was called "Too dark. Many Spider-Mans," right? <laughs> yeah, too many Spider-Man. Yeah, I'm Spider-Man. No, all, I'm Spider-Man. They were all killed in aerial accidents. <laughs> yeah. They were oh, all that, they were all crucified by Laurence Olivier. I'm that's a reference to the uh, Spider-Man Two Broadway production from the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, which I believe is actually called. Spider-Man 2, too many Spider-Mans. <laughs> um, okay, so Peter, uh, he's pissed off Uncle Ben. He uh, goes to try to buy, what, like a Yoohoo at a convenience store? Yeah, Some kind of chocolate, chocolate milk. milk. Generic chocolate milk. Gener yeah, generic It's the Bing of Yoohoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I want to be in the meeting so badly where someone bitches that. Um... <laughs> Yeah, so he tries to get it. Uh, the clerk is a real dick to him about about the uh, oh. take a penny, give a penny tray. He is the rudest person who has ever been in any film. No, no human being has ever cared this much about two pennies. Yep. Or been this angry at a stranger. So, it's just such a weird... Clearly, clearly this guy has had a very bad day. We should not be judging him. Clearly, you know, his wife left him and his boss is, you know, making him work a triple shift. Yep. Wait, Derek was about to say something. I want to hear Derek judge him. Well, I was just going to say, it's such, <laughs> such a weird plot device, not only because it's a take a penny, leave a penny trade, but because all of it is predicated on the fact that there is a take a penny, leave a penny trade, but you're only allowed to use it if you spend at least $10. Yep. It's mm -hmm. like, I have never run across this policy ever in my mm -hmm. life. Nope. And it's so no. just weird and specific. Yeah, there were so many other ways that they could have made this clerk like unnecessarily rude to the point where Peter would just allow this thing to happen out of spite and make, you know, make him responsible yes. for the events that follow. And this was it was very bizarre. They went for the way that like John Cleese and Graham Chapman would have written in sixty <laughs> yes, nine. That is right. Well, I think, I think you also... can't take a penny. What do you mean I can't take a penny? Uh, I also think that like the actual circumstances of Ben's death also seem sort of oddly like it needs to happen narratively, but why it happens doesn't necessarily make sense. That's because you cut out the wrestling. If Peter was still a wrestler, yeah. this wouldn't be but, a problem. Like when he if he dies in yeah. a like a carjacking gone wrong, that makes sense. But what happens is that this uh that this uh 
fucking guy who's robbed the uh, bodega trips. Mm-hmm. He drops his gun. Ben shouts <laughs> gun and starts wrestling with him for no reason and gets shot. This guy had no was not going to shoot Ben. He he killed himself. Yeah, I mean, not, not but, that well, man. no, Ben Ben was trying to stop the guy because he was clearly a criminal. And Ben will intervene if there is criminal activity. If he, if there's someone shouting, "Stop about stop that man!" Because he's he's a good guy who's you know the good Samaritan who will intervene. And he happened to have a gun, so he had to he had to try to get it from him. Uh, that that but that I, to me was less sort of uh, that 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 drew less of a red flag than mm-hmm. actually just the moment where Peter decides like not to help the clerk like chase down the um the robber because in in a in a kind of subtle way it it makes peter seem less complicit in uncle ben's death than was the case in the raimi films you know what i mean because in the raimi films he has like a clear active opportunity to stop this guy as he's running out with the money this is like a request from the clerk you know, can I have your help chasing down this guy? And he just says no. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's a dickish thing to do, but it's it's in a there, it's like there's less of a psychological um, element of trauma there. It's not that he's oh. necessarily less complicit in Ben's death, but I... it's it's not quite as uh, I don't know melodramatic a you know an active decision. I, yeah, I, mean, I see the, what you're the, saying, the way... but. I disagree because I actually thought this was relatively skillfully done in, in remaking the circumstances because yes, in the the previous version, all he had to do was reach out to stop the guy, but here he has chosen to look the other way when the guy does something very bad. Like he's instead, it's just moved uh, Peter Parker's uh, complicity in the man's escape earlier into the crime. And, Instead of letting him go after it's happened, he he had the opportunity to point out point it out as it was happening, and instead he's accepted the chocolate milk that the criminal throws at him and sort of sided with the criminal. So he's become a member of what Uncle Ben would call like if he's dividing the world up into us and them, the criminal is a them, and now Peter's on that side as well. I'm gonna say I I, I understand where you're coming from, Dooge, and I. I don't think that it is poorly done in that thematic sense, but I do think that it is an extremely poorly staged scene. Oh, the and, editing in this whole gunshot thing was terrible. Well, well, the, 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 issue, the issue is this, and if you look at the Raimi film and if you look at the historical origin of Spider-Man, um, yeah, as it happened in history, um, <laughs> you, you, have, um, you have this event where Peter stops the criminal. But then later, Peter comes to a site and finds his Uncle Ben dead. And then later, he finds out who the criminal was. There, there is a gap for emotional activity to happen in Peter where he goes from kind of cocky arrogance to devastation to trauma to responsibility. And well, in this film, it happens within a minute on the same city block. Hold on, because the Peter's responsibility for this starts earlier in his forgetting Aunt to, to pick up Aunt May Still. and then arguing and storming out of the house. The entire reason that they are out there at this time is because 
Peter was angry and left, and Uncle Ben. But, his, rec but his recognition of the responsibility, like in the in, in the way that it's presented in the Raimi film, it seems like a random act of violence. Yeah, and mm -hmm. then he discovers. I think if I remember how it plays out in the Raimi film, it's only once he tracks down the criminal yeah. uh, mm -hmm. that he is like, oh shit, you're the guy. Yeah. And it's devastating but, to him, and he almost gets shot because of it. I think this one, this version works because he doesn't catch the criminal. He knows who the criminal is, and he fails to, to catch him. But he, he feels the guilt of being responsible on multiple levels, having been indirectly responsible for the creation just... of the setting or, you know, why they were there at that place at that time, and also indirectly responsible for uh, the criminal getting away initially from the crime, and then Uncle Ben intervening because Peter did not. I feel like I feel like one of my main problems with the movie, though, is I don't really get a lot of, uh, get a lot of sense of him feeling guilt or responsibility in this yeah. movie. Like, I understand that he does because I understand the character and have seen other adaptations and read things with mm -hmm. him, but... Like I feel like there's never the, the as as I said before he's not doing things her heroically he like saves like that one kid and then stops the lizard and everything else is his sort of personal vigilante mm -hmm. vendetta and uh there just doesn't there doesn't seem to be that point where he sort of gets to that point where he feels the responsibility of I need to make amends for what I have done I yeah. never and there's and there's such cockiness to him when he is sort of on his vigilante vendetta. They're trying to do sort of the wise the wise cracking Spider Man mm -hmm. fast talking, uh, and they yeah. certainly and they certainly do it much better than Tobey Maguire, who couldn't mm -hmm. crack wise to save his life. But it doesn't come off as cute or uh, or endearing. It comes off as I'm an asshole to me. Yeah, he uh, he the his responsibility or the fact that he should feel responsible exists in the structure of the film, but not in the direct dialogue, at least as far as it concerns yeah. uncle Ben and certainly not in Andrew Garfield's emotional delivery. The only time that I feel like this issue is ever addressed is when he tells, I don't remember whether it's Gwen Stacy or her father, that he's the one who's responsible for this man having Gwen. the formula. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so he's responsible for uh, his, the death of her father indirectly. So spe uh, yes. speaking speaking of Gwen Stacy's father, because we 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 have there are several major characters we have not even touched on. <laughs> yet. Um, yeah, so mo moving along, he shows up pretty late in the movie. Yeah, P Peter uh, yeah. He, he starts hunting down bondmen in New York, um, which like that that right there is is like a a, a, a William Friedkin film in the seventies, just waiting to happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he, he starts hunting down Bondman in New York, trying to find his uncle's killer. He starts gradually putting together, and then suddenly putting together uh, a costume, uh, and becoming Spider-Man. And this, of course, earns him the wrath not of uh, comical and beloved uh, newspaper magnate J. Jonah Jameson, uh, but of police captain George Stacy, Gwen's father, played inexplicably by Dennis Leary. <laughs> <laughs> that most that most stalwart of authority figures, Dennis Leary. Yep. Dennis Leary. Uh, yeah. America's father, Dennis Leary. <laughs> no, America's nineteen fifties style father. Yeah. Yeah. Before before we jump into Dennis Leary, I have a question though. You, you talk about sort of the process of him building the costume, and there's mm -hmm. one part where he seems to be following behind. I guess their other classmates, and they're on like an, uh, they're on a tablet watching a video of uh -huh. Spider-Man, I think, and they're yeah. talking about momentum, 
and pendulums, and yes. and he seems to be taking notes. But I could not, for the life of me, figure out how that conversation was relevant to anything else we see him do in that montage or the rest of the movie. Can it, anyone I solve think, that riddle? I think it, it exists just... to demonstrate that the public is has become aware of Spider-Man. This that people are talking are, about and, him in whatever context and they are, are doing in. The, and, and solving the physics problems that are Spider-Man? Yes, he is, he is a nerd, a science nerd in science nerd classes, and they are having science nerd discussions the same way that we would, dis- the same kind of discussion that we are having right now, but from a physics perspective. Yes, all right. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I, read perspective. I read that as a joke about fans. Like, yes. That's, that's a all wink right. and a nod. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I, I, I just, it, se- it seemed like the sort of the fact that they were sort of thinking through how he would work mm-hmm. seemed, suggested to me that somehow that conversation would be relevant and he would figure out like some oh. way to be a better Spider-Man. And there no, doesn't it's... seem to be any sort of payoff for that conversation going, oh, I'm doing the swinging all wrong. Those guys are right. Let me fix it. I completely understand why you would think that, but what you have failed to do is notice all of the other similar scenes in the film that seem to reference something that will be relevant at another point (laughs) or have something that is relevant, which is then cast off, much like the... The uh, the guy that the lizard is chasing on the bridge, who Spider-Man apparently saves by throwing him out of the movie. Okay, <laughs> so it, it is... <laughs> we should... Yes, no, I, I distinctly remember being very confused at that point, because I wasn't paying attention <clears throat> to the movie, and then I started mm-hmm. again once he st- was saving the kid, and I'm yes. like, weren't we chasing, what's his name, the the evil doctor from Oscorp? What happened to that? So, and yes, he is thrown out of the movie. So that that does bring us to the wizard, <laughs> because Kurt Connors, uh, having, uh, we've totally skipped over the fact that he's formed a little relationship with Peter, who's mm-hmm. like a mentor. Yeah, they, they, they bought... They that, bond over like computer simulations of mice yeah. regrowing in, limbs. In the way I mean, he becomes all, his new father figure yeah, after in the Uncle way Ben is done. That all Spider-Man villains in film become a father figure to Peter at some point. Yeah. So too does Kurt well, Connors. They are they're they're bonding before uh, yeah. before he's he dies. Like that whole sort of meet cute. Hey, let's let's regrow some limbs on uh, mice seed. That's yeah, him forgetting right. about Aunt May. So Kurt. Uh, as we mentioned earlier, he has one arm. Uh, he's being pressured by evil Oscorp doctor to begin human trials. And he finally decides he's going to begin the human trial on himself. Shoots uh, a big can- big canister of green liquid into his, uh, his stub of an arm. Passes out. Wakes up with this horrible scaly appendage that bursts mm-hmm. away to reveal this horrible pink appendage. Yeah. <laughs> It looks like the arm that should be on one of the Prometheus aliens. Yeah, it's really mm-hmm. creepy. Um, and then decides, okay, he's well, going to chase down. I mean, it, it looks fairly like a fresh baby's arm. Yeah, which is it's just kind of, When it's on a human, is terrifying. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's like yeah, a very, I, it's I a like very weird sort of neonatal... Uh, or Neatony, or however, however that word is pronounced. So he, he goes um, off to try to catch the Oscorp scientist who is trying to take this formula to the VA hospital to begin human yeah. testing. And I, uh, as he gets into the cars- cab, he starts scaling up. And, and yes. that must have been, that's the calmest, most level-headed cab driver I've ever seen in my life. It's, ah, <laughs> guy gets in the car, clearly on drugs. Okay, I'll take him somewhere. Ah, guy's turning into a lizard monster. Better drive a little faster. 
I mean, it's probably not the weirdest fare that he's had. <laughs> no. uh, I did. Yeah, I actually really like Ghostbusters. New York taxi drivers get lots of weird fares <laughs> all the time. <laughs> and I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Um, I uh, I actually really liked the way that they set up uh, Kurt Connors resorting to trying this on himself because I felt like they put him in a bind that felt realistic to me. Uh, the, the formula had been taken away from him. He was fired. He was only going to have access to it right now. And so he, he does resort to this because he's desperate. This is, he's, he feels like he's within spitting distance of his life's work. Uh, and you know, the, the dream of regrowing his own arm. Uh, I, I feel like the movie created, created a lot of other scenarios that I did not feel were as binding as the film wanted you to believe to make the characters act that way. No. And I, I thought this was actually a successful one. It didn't, it didn't make perfect sense that he immediately sets up a lab in the sewers. That's <laughs> the most realistic decision he could have made immediately what, going Why are the you sewers? assuming that he set that up? I mean, aren't there labs just around the sewers? Yeah. Uh, have you seen the documentary Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? True. <laughs> Oh, so he's uh, he turns himself into this lizard man, starts running around. Um, does anyone have any thoughts on the lizard? Uh, he looks like in some ways, a Goomba. From, he looks like a Goomba oh, from the Super Mario yes. Brothers movie. You're exactly that is what he looks like. Because I think clearly, I think the, clearly I the, think the lizard might. Go ahead. I think the lizard might be the weakest part of the film. Yeah. Um, just, uh, the design of the character uh, is is not very imaginative. Uh, the the CGI, I mean, the mocap on him is like not really compelling at all. Um, no. Yeah, I clear, clearly there was a design decision of we're not going to make this just you know a yeah. tiny dinosaur the way that previous versions have been. And I can understand, like, let's not have it be, you know, a human-sized dinosaur in a lab coat, because that's kind of silly. But why but, wouldn't you do that? But God, I, I, I would, wish, I would they, love to see Sam Raimi's version of the lizard. <laughs> I wish they... But yes, no, I certainly wish they had done that. And the, and the decision of, well, let's just keep him having a kind of human-y face is just such a bizarre choice. I really wish they had gone with, you know, the classic lizard face. And it would have worked much, much better. And uh, yeah, no, definitely the lizard is the weak link here. And like his motivations just get so. His, motiva his motivation and, yes. is turn people into lizards. Well, yeah. I, and, it, I mean, I guess why? you get a little bit of that in like Connors's whole a world without weakness. Like that's how they try and lizards think, have no weakness. That's just basic <laughs> herpetology. Lizards are unblockable. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, well, usually, usually in in that kind of situation where like you see like the kind of kernel of of evil that later gets transformed into like the actual monster when you know the person is still in human form usually the original like form is a little more explicitly like nefarious in a way um and here like we don't really get much to lead us to believe that kurt connors is monstrous in any way yeah like, no he's, he's clearly a sympathetic no. character i mean it's basically, also it's basically a completely different character when he turns into blizzard well, I think there is a deliberate yeah. choice here that, again, contrasts to the Sam Raimi films, 
which if I recall, all of the villains presented in those three films, their uh, motive, like their ability to make their own decisions is kind of taken from yeah. them. Yeah, they lose as, agency. As they make excuses for why these people are evil. Yeah. And in this film, there's the deliberate setup where he becomes the lizard, understands that it's a bad thing, but he hasn't taken so much that he is permanent. So he reverts and then makes the decision to do the evil thing because he would rather have that than continue life without an arm. Yeah, so it's to set him up as a contrast to Peter. Yeah, but, then it, but then at the end of the movie, but then at the end of the movie, when he, when the cure gets dispersed and he, he uh, is cured, he seems to have an immediate about face and regrets mm -hmm. everything that he's doing as though he, as though it's not only that lizards are the apex predator in all their environments, they're also criminal, criminally insane in all of their environments, and that's the only reason he did it. Just because yeah, every dermatologist knows that. I yeah. thought the implication was supposed to be. Now we must know: Are lizards evil? I mean, this I'm, is on, this on, is on, I'm, I'm, an age-old question. I'm We're not going guest. to resolve. I'm bringing an expert in here. Yeah, my surprise guest, my, my wife Cynthia, uh, lovely who, wife who who is is a herpetologist. Cynthia, we have to ask for the purposes of the podcast: Is it or is it not a proven scientific fact that that all lizards have herpes? That, no, not that. That all lizards are evil. You're thinking a little too long about this. Keep in mind <laughs> that they are cold. <laughs> So not all lizards are evil, is what you're saying. Yeah, not all lizards. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hashtag not all lizards. My wife. Um, I I mean I got the the impression that he's supposed to. <clears throat> the lizard is a separate personality that is emerging, and at first he is okay with how evil the this other self is because he just wants his, he wants to feel whole again. And so he goes whole hog into this evil persona, but then after he's gotten into it, he regrets it, but he doesn't have any power over that, that persona until he has become a human again and he can decide or, you know, acknowledge that it was a mistake. But the choice is just so poorly motivated. Like he's, why, why does he inject the formula into him? <laughs> because I want to be strong again. I, I, I like, want this I arm like so what? bad, I'll be a lizard monster. Well, I feel like I feel like his personal choice of I will be a lizard, I mm -hmm. understand. It's yes. the let's make everyone in New York also a lizard. Where but it I just think like that that is a decision. Isn't that a decision that he makes while he is the lizard, or is that a decision he makes while he is human? I don't fucking know. Okay, because <laughs> that's what I'm positing is that the, the lizard makes different decisions than he does. So I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> but also, also uh, this movie is I just I don't remember whether he like steals and sets up that device while yeah. he's in lizard form or human form. So when he but, gets uh, back to human form after uh, the first, kind of, first, first time, Peter goes and sees him in his old <laughs> lab, and within a minute of talking to him, immediately knows that he is the lizard. Yes. And I did you guys think that that Dr. Connors knew that Peter Parker was Spider-Man at that point, and that's why he's giving him all of these veiled threats slash veiled bragging about no, being this, not this character? At that point. 
Not at this. Isn't he okay. surprised later well, when he finds out who it is? And that's when I found out that he did not know him because <laughs> I thought the the entire implication of that conversation is that they are talking the way that Peter and Aunt May talk, where she knows that he's Spider Man, but is not. Neither of them are openly I, acknowledging it. Yeah, no, I could I could definitely see that because yes, it's it's obviously immediately clear who the lizard is in this conversation. Yes. And yes, no, they're definitely seem to be a, <laughs> we are both passive aggressively talking at each other. But yes. also, no, no, like, no, wait, 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 wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. The next time, the next time one of your students comes in and starts challenging you on a point, you need to respond to him. I think it's clear who the lizard in this conversation is. <laughs> yes, but I also I also found it interesting that the movie kind of did dither on that point. Nope. Like, yeah, it was completely obvious to us that he was the lizard, but mm-hmm. I felt like I was surprised that the movie didn't expect Peter to need at least one more piece of solid evidence well, before he immediately went to Gwen Stacy's dad and went, that motherfucker's a lizard. A piece of solid evidence was that horrifying lizard mouse that was eating the other mouse. Oh, right. Yes, of course. That, well, he... yes, that, that is kind oh. of a pretty damn big piece of... Piece of... That... That does explain why he sets up that camera, which he immediately forgets about. Yep. Much like the guy who got thrown out no, of the film. So why is that camera? What is that for? He's taking photos and of it. Where did he get the label maker to label that? Yeah, he's poor. <laughs> label makers also, cost money. It's, why just, would it's you... clearly out of a different era. Also, his plan is just to have a giant web that will vibrate in ways that somehow will tell him where the lizard is. Well, I kind of liked that because it, it actually looked like he was more an arachnid than and I felt like the Sam Raimi films didn't spend a lot of time on trying to make you no. feel like this character was arach- arach- well, he's not, he's not a he's, he's, he's more arachnish? man than spider arachnish <laughs> yeah, he, yeah he's from Iraq spider man not <laughs> man spider <laughs> anyway so Lin- oh Lin- of course the, the new sitcom from the makers of blackish arachnish <laughs> so at some point uh oh yeah P- peter has this incredibly awkward dinner with gwen's family where we yeah, find we, that we, uh, uh, M- mrs stacy is clearly the breadwinner because they're not affording that apartment on a police captain's salary also, that they are clearly in the pocket of Big Branzino because they fucking mentioned that fish like 80 times. They will not shut up about the kind of fish they're eating. I will confess, I had never heard of Branzino. Neither before. had I. Nope. I, do, I didn't even I look it up now. It up. I still don't know whether it's real awareness or not. European raised. sea bass. Awareness raised. Good product placement. <laughs> uh, can we address... Okay, so as far as casting of Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone goes, they have all of the chemistry that Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst did not. Yes. There is is no question when they are on screen together whether these two characters, to use the technical terms, want to fuck like rabbits or not. Well, I think it probably helps (laughs) that... They are eye-fucking the shit out of each other. We're fucking like rabbits. This is a Spider-Man that exists in a post-Twilight world. (laughs) <laughs> These characters are very concerned with how they are looking at each other. Specifically uh, in Mark Webb's post 500 Days of Summer World. Yep. Uh, but there's a lot of her gently, uh, gently like dressing his lizard wound, sort of. And, <laughs> even, even from their earliest interactions, it's clear that Gwen Stacy wants wants something to do with this guy and is being very direct about addressing him to the point where she invites him over to her house. And it's so routine yeah. 
that she doesn't even remember to remind him that this is a formal dinner. I guess that she has guys over so often that it is not not noteworthy to her father that this this teenage boy has come in through her fire escape window. How is he yes. supposed to know that the fire escape goes to her window, this or even I her apartment, to... this high I... in the building? He must have had to go around the entire... Uh, he can figure out what the 20th floor is, yes. but he had to have looked in every single goddamn window until he found Gwen. Unless also... he went up in the building, in the elevator, found the apartment, located <laughs> the street outside, went back down, and then went back in so as to avoid talking to any of her family. That that, that could be. Now, the, the reference to Twilight, I think, answers one of my questions about it, it which is, why does Gwen seem to accept so readily that he is Spider-Man? Yeah, that like, happens she very is not She is not phased at all. To the point where when he jumps off, she uh -huh. already knows that he's Spider-Man. I was like, oh, she is already entirely on board with this. I was like, is there any ambiguity here? But it does well, remind me a lot of Twilight. She... It does I, remind I thought... me a lot of Twilight where she's very, pretty much on board with the fact he's a vampire almost mm -hmm. from the beginning. Yeah, I remember well, when I was in high school and I told girls that I was trying to date that I was Spider-Man. I did not get that reaction. <laughs> You know, I never tried really? Because I did. Oh. <laughs> They're like, oh, you're Spider-Man. You're the guy. Cut, do the wall thing. Oh. Well, the, the thing is, you didn't have the web spinners to do the little romantic twirl and do a kiss thing. I had that's so, how you, I had so that's strings, how you seal the deal. That is how you seal the deal. That is how you seal the deal. Anyway. I, I will say that I really thought, I thought that her, your Spider-Man line was one of the better delivered lines in the film. It, it felt... That whole, like, their chemistry is really the two, good. The two of them are really and, good together, and I like them both yeah. as actors in the film. Yeah, yeah I agree no, with I think, this. I think, I think they're well cast. I think they're, you know, mm -hmm. they're poorly served by not very good Spider-Man movies. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, I feel I feel bad that Andrew Garfield, you know, is going to go down as, you know, the guy who killed Sony's Spider-Man as, as, as the Val Kilmer of Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. Um... <laughs> Okay, so I love how I love how much we accuse the third Batman movie of being the one that killed the franchise and not the fourth one. I genuinely well, believe that Batman and Robin is a significantly better film than Batman. It absolutely is. There's no agree, question about that. I agree, but I do not think I, I certainly agree with you. I just don't think that that is the critical consensus in any way. Probably well, true. I mean, I I think that the the critical uh, impressions of Batman and Robin at the time missed the tone that Joel Schumacher was actually going for and yes. that they we were still in a we want a serious Batman frame of mind and Batman Forever was presented as a serious Batman it was just genuinely terrible in every way yeah that great Cohen brothers film it, a serious yeah. Batman yeah it uh <laughs> it changed the direction of that franchise such that when he got when he made a humorous and campy second film, uh, no one understood it in the way that um, Sam Raimi sort of succeeds in creating that tone in the Spider-Man franchise. Look, you're preaching to the converted on this. I'm just, I'm, yeah. I'm just pointing out that I think in terms of, particularly in terms of like industry lore, if you're asking people what killed Batman in Hollywood, they would probably far more likely to point to Batman and Robin than they would to Batman Forever. Yeah, but just... I, I don't think that I'm just going to accept that as true because that's what they say. Anywho. I mean, I think it's clear that 
forever is the one that actually ruined everything. Yeah, so Gwen wants to live in a house of chocolate. Uh, mm-hmm. Peter gets a horrible Can't gash. Except when she's having cramps. Yep. Peter gets a horrible gash on his chest. She from... gets to romantically dress his lizard wound. Yep. Um, okay. Did you just say slizzard? The slizzard wound. Eddie slizzard. Uh, there is a fight at the school, which has some good moments, like uh, Stan Lee in noise-canceling headphones, not noticing mm-hmm. the cartoonish going on behind him. And yes. Peter uh, throwing Gwen out of the school window after telling her, I'm going to throw you out the window now. Um, <laughs> let's see. So the lizard decides he's going to turn uh, New York into lizard people for inexplicable reasons. He does wear a lab coat briefly, which brought me okay. inordinate mm-hmm. amounts of joy. All yes. right. I, I think I missed Very that. Very important. There's... So wait, after... After the after the conversation where it's clear that one person is a lizard in that conversation, up until the point that he gets cured, he is the lizard for the rest of the movie, right? There isn't like a reversion to human Kurt. I think there's no, because he takes more... a higher dosage. Yeah, there's one more sewer scene. Oh yeah, oh, I mean okay. he does revert to human Kurt at the end. Okay. Right? Well, yeah. I guess I was trying to yeah. answer okay. answer Juju's uh, earlier question oh, of yeah. when yeah. does the hey let's make everybody a lizard uh, yeah. idea come to him, and I don't know if it's uh, as human Kurt or lizard Kurt. Uh, so he decides he's going to turn New York into lizard people. Uh, he starts off his plan by turning some cops into lizard people, although they just kind of writhe, and one of them hilariously sticks a very long tongue out of his mouth in a cry of agony. And then <laughs> yes. um, at that point, it's a, it's a fairly standard climax. Uh, Spider-Man trying to get to the Oscorp Tower to prevent the dispersal of this lizard toxin. Gwen the working is... class rise up to support uh, support uh, yeah. him as they do in much every more Spider-Man effective. Movie. But I thought it's this crazy. was much more effective and and touching and believable than uh, the instance of throwing hot dogs off of the Brooklyn Bridge. At the same in, time, though, in the it is it is significantly more plausible that the <laughs> mode of helping that people would conceive of would be let's throw things at the villain yes. than it is let's arrange a series of cranes so that our mm-hmm. hero can engage in a also, platformer game. I, also, I agree. It also feels seems much more contrived. It also seems it's, uh, like overly convenient given the fact, like if we had seen Bat, or excuse me, uh, Spider-Man rescue a lot of people over the course of the movie mm-hmm. if he had actually been being a hero... Yes. I feel like it would have worked a little bit better, but the fact that the one per, the mm-hmm. one family that he actually seems to have helped in the last few days happens yeah. to be in a position to you know get, set up the platforms for his uh, his mad dash to the mm-hmm. Oscorp thing just seems overly contrived. I completely agree, but now I have to tell the story that I, I briefly I, I said earlier that About I would come back to. The time that you lifted up cranes to <laughs> no uh, when I was when we were watching this the first time. Uh, and we got to the scene where he's saving the kid from the car. Like, I I was really in it. I was feeling the, the emotion of that scene. But then as the slow motion takes over and he shoots the web to pull the kid out of the car. And, and then the kid about to go the Jesus pose. Well, <laughs> yes, there is that. But I, I was feeling it. And then I had the thought, and that kid was Richard Nixon. <laughs> Or Steve Jobs, or, you know, like, it's this buildup, like, someone recounting this story, and then, like, Jimmy James and News Radio 
or Stephen Tobolowski in uh, Silicon Valley or something. They're, they're trying to demonstrate a point, and that child was went on to be a famous person. And so I laughed about this to myself for like the next five minutes. And then it turns out that that kid is the son of the crane operator who would save Spider-Man's life. Because the the story the <laughs> central theme of the Jimmy, uh, J- Jimmy James reference <laughs> the, the the central message of Spider Man is always hey everyone's a hero. <laughs> um, the Spider-Man... central message is that it that that saving people is really only useful for the quid pro quo of it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hey, you saved I saved you. You got to save me, right? <laughs> so uh, Peter uh, has this fight with the lizard on top of the Oscorp Tower manages to switch Gwen's lizard cure uh, in for the uh, lizard formula that disperses over New York. There's a big fight. Kurt uh, ends up getting turned back into human, but uh uh-oh, Gwen's father, who found out that Peter was Spider-Man, gets killed by the lizard, and he makes Peter, on his deathbed, makes Peter promise to leave Gwen alone if he's going to do this Spider-Man stuff. Well, on on his death, leaning, leaning against a, nit- a uh, nitrous oxide tank. There's not really a bed involved. It, on his death, uh, death tank. <laughs> That's a great World War II comic. Yes. Death, tank. Uh, death tank. Death tank that death peoples. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... On his death thing, makes Peter promise that he will leave Gwen alone, and Peter, within five minutes of movie time, breaks that promise. But not before ghosting Gwen at her father's funeral, which is such a remarkably dickish way to be handling this oh, situation. 100%. <laughs> well, he not- also, he's got to keep up his, uh, his uh, pattern of creepily watching her from afar. Yep. He's got a streak. <laughs> A reputation he, to maintain. He, he's he's really lucky that Uncle Ben going. He's got photos of you on his computer. Went over well with her because that is a terrifying thing for oh, a teenage girl. It has already been established. loner in her class. It has already been established that uh, Gwen is a self-actualized, liberated woman, and is attracted to him regardless of the specifics of his bizarre secrets and bad boy behavior. Mm-hmm. Not only that, and again, I must say, has a remarkably robust biotech resume for someone who is 17, 17 years old. Yeah. Even more robust than Peter's. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, Peter hasn't but, worked but, at any biotech firms. I think yeah. I must have missed the specific line when you uh, might not. Her have. father, her father, <laughs> made him promise not to uh, pursue Gwen because I didn't hear him say that. He said, I he heard said, him. He said, "Leave her out of it. Promise." Oh, me. okay. Promise right. me. Promise me. All right. And technically speaking, he never actually does promise him. So he's yeah. not really breaking a promise. But it's clear it's clear that it's clear that uh Dennis Leary dies believing that there is an implicit promise that mm-hmm. Gwen Gwen will be left out of it. And as we will learn next movie, he she should have been oh. left out of it because it does not end Cause well. Because her, her name's Gwen Stacy. Because she's Gwen strange. fucking Stacy. Speaking of sage words uh, spoken by uh, father figures about to die in this film, um, did you guys think that when Uncle Ben is raking Peter over the coals for having forgotten his Aunt May, that it was kind of a huge leap in uh, conversational topics to go from, like, uh, you have disappointed uh, me and left your aunt waiting uh, to 
your dad believed awareness and ability create an ironclad moral imperative. Like that, that, those two is that what he says? Connected at all? Say that. I'm assuming that was an exact quote. It's, it's a paraphrase. Yes, an exact yes. quote. But um, he's saying like your father believed that if you could do good, you had to. Is a lot different than you forgot to pick up your aunt. It it, it did yes. strike you. You forgot to get the eggs. Yeah. Yeah. No. Like this is not a. Yeah. Nothing. Nothing that has happened here is a moral failing on Peter's part. It is like a consideration failing on Peter's part. Yeah, I mean, he has gone teams. off. Forget, yeah, he's gone off to hang out with Kurt Connors, which is probably not yeah. super irresponsible. But then he also spends like an hour in this abandoned, uh, uh, I don't know. Actually, he does the, area doing he does a, the he does the powers experimentation uh, before that because it's no. during the meet or when he's hanging out with Kurt Connors. Uh, that he ignores the calls from uh -huh. Uncle Ben. Okay, you're right. Because uh, the one is in daylight, and then they're in the lab, and it's very dark, and the presumption is that it's night, even though it, there do not appear to be any windows in that lab, and they just have no. the lights romantically low. <laughs> I mean, it's a very romantic scene. They've got, uh, again, they have a computer simulation of a mouse that's growing legs and dying. Mm -hmm. How much more romantic can he get? Peter is cheating on his father figure with a different father figure, and that's why he ignores the call. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, that is exactly what happens, yes. Wow. Yep. So one more uh one more web swing through the city, and then a uh an inexplicable post uh credit or mid credit scene where a creepy guy in a hat asks Dr. Connors, you didn't tell him the truth about his father, did you? We pick up that plot thread right at the finish line. That is, a, that, is a remark that is a remarkably on-point imitation of the tone that this guy yeah. uh, takes. You didn't tell him they, the truth about his father. I don't father. know the name of that character actor, but they got a guy... Uh, the listeners, if you are picturing a man with the most nefarious voice in the world, that is who they cast for this. It's like one tone short of being Dr. Claw from Inspector Gadget. Yeah, no. It's a little bit more folksy and southerny, yeah. but it's yeah, it's essentially it's essentially Claw. Yeah, it's 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 Claw's southern uh younger it's the Billy right. Claw to his Jimmy Claw. Okay. Uh, I have I have one question. And perhaps this might be something that we need our herpetologist to, to answer. But does anyone know what the fuck the Ganali device is a reference to? Because it's a very specific name. And I googled Ganali and all I could find were like the wiki, the wiki for this movie. And I'm like, where does this name come from? Cynthia, is there anything in herpetology called a Ganali device? All I can think of is uh, head, no. all I can all right. think of is there is, is there a Spider-Man reference? Is Ganali some artist who did stuff on Spider-Man or a writer or who the fuck is Ganali? Uh, anyway, I'm, this, I'm uh, going to Bing Ganali. Bing it, yes, that's how you'll find it. No. If it's anything like Google, it will just be results for the Ganali device. And weirdly, a lot of the times not capitalized, despite the fact that that has to be a name, because what the fuck else could Ganali mean? It's like laundry, but like a child's laundry? We don't really have a word for it. <laughs> um, all it's reminding me of is that line in The Big Lebowski when he's 
when the dude is at Maude Lebowski's <coughs> apartment or studio or whatever, and her, her friend picks up the phone and says, it's Sandro about the Biennale. Yes. Yes. So, uh, anyone have uh, final thoughts about this here film? Um, Let me go back through my notes. We've been talking almost two and a half hours. All right. Oh my god. I've got. got, uh... Oh, uh, I was kind of just just right at the beginning of the film. I was oddly and surprisingly disappointed that we didn't get to see where his father was hiding in their game of hide and seek. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like it really missed a moment for characterization. That's that's a good point. That is Um, is a good final thought. Yeah. (laughs) I uh, I mean, one of the things that I do appreciate about this Spider-Man movie, and I mean, we've already talked about how the lizard is probably the weak link here. But one thing that I do really appreciate about the Spider-Man movies is that it seems like of all the various superhero things, particularly the ones that get redone, it seems like it's the only one that's really, you know, exploring the depth of the character's uh, rogues gallery. Because over the course of yeah. the two Amazing Spider-Man movies and the Raimi movies, we've dealt with uh, the Green Goblin, Doc Ock. Uh, I don't know if we want to call uh, Franco's Green Goblin just another Green Goblin or the Hobgoblin. Uh, mm-hmm. Sandman, Venom, the Lizard, and we'll have Electro in the next movie. And the Ryan. And Spoiler alert. The Green, and the Green Goblin, sort of the, the, uh, the not Ork Norman Osborne. The, the the sun the sun green goblins the only yeah the hobgoblins really the only repeat there unlike say superman where the movie seemed convinced that lex luthor and general zod are the absolute only villains you can do uh do in a superman movie or the x-men at least the mainline x-men movies where they always seem to find a way to make magneto either the main villain or at least part of the villainous team um, so I really appreciate that the Spider-Man movies are not just constantly like, let's have him fight the Green Goblin for the fourth mm-hmm. time. Yeah, I think um, Batman is the other franchise that, that actually has enough famous villains that they can yeah. keep changing them, but also isn't, doesn't shy away from doing some that are less well Yeah, no, I was, in my notes, I was sort of thinking about that, like, there's kind of a mix. So obviously we get mm-hmm. like a second version of the Joker, and we get Bane again, and, you know, done properly, and we have Two-Face. Mm-hmm. But then we have a lot of villain, uh, villains that are only in one and not the other. So we have like the Scarecrow. Riddler and Mr. Freeze yeah. in one, and then Scarecrow and Ra's al Ghul and Talia al Ghul are really Don't only in... Uh, Poison Ivy. Well, yeah, Poison Ivy in the, in the, uh, uh, the, the first four movies. Do you think but, that uh, Mr. Freeze just never got his doctorate <laughs> i mean maybe he's dr victor freeze but then when he becomes mr freeze was oh like, was he so he's at least humble about it or, i appreciate or, that or maybe he just like yeah. after he fell into the vat of chemicals the university that had granted him his phd revoked it and said no 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 we, we don't we don't grant phds to to blue i mean maybe or like maybe i mean Given, given the physique that he has, maybe he had, like, as a stage name prior to, like, he was a bodybuilder, and he went by Mr. Freeze prior to getting his doctorate. So he, like, brings it back, because that's what he's known by. That's his brand. I really love that. Well, actually, and that, that actually makes sense, considering that that film tells us very clearly that every decision is about brand, which is why Batman and Robin have their logos on everything, including holes they punch and- in walls. 
Oh, well, and I was gonna say, I mean, and their and their and their unique signature uh, credit card. Yes. Don't leave the Batcave without it. Yeah. Well, that's a reference to <laughs> Tim Burton's first Batman film that features an American Express card, right? I mean, that's a that's a joke about how I mean, the first. That's film a joke about American Express. There's tons <laughs> of there's tons of product placement in all those movies. It's really yeah. But it's but we we act as though it's only in the Schumacher ones where they become, uh, you know. Well, noticeable I mean, that's something. that's so, the there's 1960s. A reason. That's Adam West Batman all over, isn't it? Just bat everything, bat hook, bat ladder, yes. bat so, ladder hook. So I mean, there's a there's a reason Prince is in the first Batman movie, and it's because he is also a Warner Brothers artist. It's entirely, it's all just fucking synergy. For a minute, I thought you were going to say Warner Brothers character. <laughs> I thought you were going to say property. I mean, um, and Andy shows up in the Animaniacs, which is also Warner Brothers. It's yep. all on brand. Back to the Don's half brother. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the, yeah. The, the famous fingerprints, fingerprints gag. No thanks. <laughs> the fingerprints <laughs> joke. Uh, Bester, is uh, is that your final thought? The rogues gallery. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I mentioned earlier that like there are aspects of. Obviously, we're not all on board with this movie. I think I think it seems like we all kind of agree that you know there are things it does well and there are things that it doesn't do well. But uh, you know, I appreciate a lot of sort of the different paths it takes in terms of um, characterizing Peter, particularly early on. I like that we get a good sense that he is uh, mechanically minded. So, you know, he immediately understands how to fix the leaking uh, fridge in the basement. And he's built this sort of auto locking system in there. uh, So we don't have to deal with the ridiculousness of like bio web spinners in the Raimi one. Um, even though, as we point out, it's sort of ridiculous that he seems to be this mechanical genius, but without any of the, without any of the sort of, uh, extracurricular activities that would probably go along with, uh, with that. Um, and you know, I think, I think there's a lot, there's a lot of good decisions here, but it just, it doesn't come together in the end. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a movie that I think had a lot of promise. And I think like, uh, like dude said, as I remember when I watched this, uh, I didn't see it in theaters, but I think I watched it shortly after it came out on DVD. I remember really liking this and thinking it was really positive. And then, yeah, rewatching it this time, uh, the the holes, the plot holes, uh, just seem much, much more obvious. But again, uh, I also just appre- I, I, I do want to reiterate that I am grateful for how much the Spider-Man movies uh, don't just retread the same villains over and over again. And I'm looking forward to seeing what. Michael Keaton, and I can't remember who else has been cast as the villains in Homecoming. But, you know, hopefully we see the Vulture or Craven the Hunter or Mysterio, and we don't have to deal with, you I'd know... Like to, I think Mysterio would work really well, uh, though maybe Mysterio, not as the first Mysterio one. is the one that baffles me that it hasn't been done yet. It's so obvious. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, Mysterio would be good. I feel, like, I feel like just Michael Keaton's look would be great for Craven, um, but uh, I... I I feel like I feel like if there's any if there's any one uh, franchise that I expect to actually, uh, you know, give us a full the full range of the sort of not even the C list villains like the the A list villains that's a pretty deep one. I forgot the Rhino. The Rhino is also in uh, mm-hmm. in the next Spider Man movie as well. Um, oh. I would like to clarify. I feel like Spider Man's gonna do. Gonna gonna what? Uh, oh, yeah, I feel like oh. Yeah, it's uh, going to actually do all the villains as opposed to giving us Norman Osborn for the fifth time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that that would be nice. Um, all right. Dooge, uh, real, uh, real quick, what were you saying? Yeah. Uh, is there any explanation for why the mom doesn't stay with Peter when he's left with his aunt and uncle? Nope. Why the, the father doesn't go off on his own? Okay, nope. there's not? 
because I thought that was very odd. Yes. Um, there. Uh, I mean, let's see. I mean, it seemed like it would have been easy for them to establish yeah. during that sort of Bing montage okay. that she, that she was also involved in it, that she was also a scientist. You would think uh, that. Um, because I mean, they're, they're changing the. I mean, as I understand it, his par- both of his parents were spies, right? Yes. In the original continuity, so yeah. they've changed. They've changed. You know, actual Cold War espionage. Wait, to you're saying espionage that in and their in the original Spider-Man story, like the first version, his parents turned out to be spies. No, well, no. I mean, I think it's. I think it's oh, much later mean, that they established that. But okay. like in, in comics continuity, I think. Uh, long time later i think i think for you know the first 20 years or something mm. we'd ever find out what the fuck happened to them and then at some oh, okay. point i i stefan might know when they're spies uh, they're they, working with captain America. but i mean that's the first version of his parents that you ever come across yeah. okay i did I, think I, so. I, I did not yeah. know that that's interesting yeah. Yeah. uh so, the, so they're uh, essentially playing with that so there's certainly an opportunity to say oh yeah she's also a scientist they're mm-hmm. a scientist team it was three people with kirk connor's but they don't fucking do that for some reason because they're sexist. Um, <laughs> yeah, I went there. Uh, just another sort of continuity thing that I was uh, thought was odd, that when Peter puts on his dad's glasses, Uncle Ben comes in and says something like, my God, you look just like him. But then within a matter of minutes after that, he meets his father's old partner, and there's so you? little resemblance between this child and his father that he doesn't recognize him at all. Maybe Ben's uh, just yeah. full of shit. We saw what Campbell Scott looked like, and he does not look like Andrew Garfield. Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> but I would like to say that at the the two watching the two viewings that I'm referring to were two days ago and today. Oh, I really okay. liked it two or three days ago when I watched it. I I saw it once shortly after it came out on like on demand or something, but I watched it in several segments and never felt like I remembered anything oh, okay. from the film. No, I did I remember that it. I enjoyed it that time, but I was uh, watching this... it back when I lived in Atlanta. Okay. I, I enjoyed it. And even, even the second time, but it, I was more able to see how it's not going to age. Well, I felt mm-hmm. like there were a lot of scenes in this that were reminiscent of the, the look of, the the two Fantastic Four films that we've done that we've done where it felt like the studio was making a lot of decisions to appeal to contemporary teens that like skateboarding uh, like yes exactly that skateboarding Coldplay scene felt like Coldplay I could watch bad. it was like I was watching the signs of my own era like if you were in the eighties and you were looking at mm-hmm. all of the eighties fashion and saying this is going to look ridiculous in ten years yeah yeah instead no, of just no, being no, in it's it it's not gonna yeah. I mean, it, I mean, I think I think part of the big problem is that I mean, I feel like it probably felt dated even in 2012. Oh. I think you know, disaffected mm-hmm. youth who skateboards around his I'm, uh, skateboards around his school. I'm sure is still mm-hmm. you know there are is an accurate representation of some segment of the population, but I don't think quite has sort of the cultural resonance that it might have if this were a movie that had come out in 2002 as opposed to 2012. Yeah. That's fair. But that said, I, I still I think I really enjoy this film much more than I expected to. And it might be my favorite of the four we've watched. Of the Spider-Mans? Yeah. So, um, I gotta go with Spider-Man 3. Yeah. I, know, I know that you do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Always and forever, man. Uh, Derek, Derek Hall, <laughs> your, uh, your final thoughts? Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> this is actually the first time uh, that I saw this film. It's it's the first one in a while where I never I didn't see it when it came out in theaters, um, and I came away thinking that this movie was kind of a real missed opportunity when you kind of consider the personnel involved. I mean, you, you've got Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone and Mark Webb directing. Um, it seemed like there was an opportunity to make this more, more than just a movie where, oh, these two characters have some nice chemistry. Like, they could have made this like a full-blown like romance drama or romance kind of, you know, romantic comedy. Um, but... I, for for whatever reason, probably just like the logic of the logic of franchising or you know what have you, um, a lot of that stuff had to be subordinated. And and I first started to kind of realize or start to formulate this idea in the last act, which um, I think from from the perspective of like the lizard and the what is ostensibly the main plot of the film is like pretty weak. But I actually felt in terms of those kind of aspects of like romantic melodrama or romantic comedy or chemistry or whatever you want to call it, it really actually came to the fore in the last half hour or so. Um, And it just made me uh, kind of see the film that could have been all that more in a a weird way. I mean, Mm -hmm. everything else that that is around that, um, you know, particularly the script, I mean, it's just kind of, turgid and unorganic like there's lots of things that are either completely unmotivated or way under motivated i mean the fact that it's just everything seems to happen because the script the script needs it to happen it's just not um not terribly well integrated in that way um and i think the other thing that that kind of really kicked into high gear in the last act was the score um which we actually haven't mentioned at all this is james horner's last score before last last american score before he died he did uh, oh yeah um he he did um a couple of scores after that that you know released posthumously and i think he may have done one score for um another film in i don't know maybe china or japan um that was released when he was still alive but this was his last american film uh before he died um and it's actually quite it's quite a good score um it, it's actually a, it, i think it's a little more original than you get in a lot of these kind of franchise films which have like completely forgettable scores um but i found myself actually wanting to like listen to tracks of it afterwards um so i think that's that's something in its favor but you know overall it didn't really leave too much of an impression um you know just left me kind of wanting uh Watching a different film that was buried in there. I'll, I'll echo kind of what everyone said. I, I did enjoy this, but recognizing that it is, it is not necessarily what it could have been, I think it was right to not try to replicate the Raimi films. You need to mm-hmm. try to define your own film, your own voice, and, and go in a different direction. But the points on which it decided to do that were sometimes baffling to me. Um, I feel like they, they chose to make changes that were in some ways um, that they thought would be impactful but turned out to be cosmetic uh, mm-hmm. when they could have been much braver 
uh, structurally or in terms of even just the kind of film that they wanted to make. But I, I enjoy the actors. It's a, it's a fairly breezy film. It, it didn't bother me to watch it in the way that, like, watching Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer <laughs> made me want to claw out my eyes. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I didn't feel like it... I, feel, I did feel like it lagged at points. Like, particularly... Oh Particularly the, the skateboarding uh, sequence in particular, I'm like, can we fucking get? To, can we just fucking kill Uncle Ben already? Well, like Wilder. an hour into this movie. <laughs> yeah, well, Billy he Wilder. died about 45 minutes in. Billy Wilder. And we haven't even. If you have third act skateboarding problems. You've really got first. Act <laughs> it just feels like there's like four or five. Are, are you referring to Chekhov skateboard? I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the skateboard show. Yeah, that skateboard did not get used in the climax. Anyway, there's there's two more quick notes that I have. Uh, one, my favorite line in the film was actually Dennis Leary when someone calls, maybe even Peter calls Spider-Man a vigilante, and his response is, "He's not a vigilante. He's an anarchist." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like the streets of New York are filled with anarchists. There are regular sackos and Vanzettis out there. <laughs> Yeah. Hey, we got Chogosh over here. Um, Seco and Banzetti. All yeah. right. Is that um, how his name is pronounced? Chogosh? Chogosh, I think. Yeah, yeah. Did you guys know that uh, James Horner's first credited score was on the movie Crawl, which I just happened to buy on DVD this week as part of a two pack for $5 at Books a Million? I learned something. Tell me more, dude. <laughs> I also got, the, and I am not does making he have a this car? up, a four pack. <laughs> Of dog movies, including the recent hit Karate Dog, starring the voice of Chevy Chase. As the dog? Presumably, yes, I haven't oh. yet. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, the, 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 no, 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 you can't move away from Karate Dog that quickly. I, I'm just imagining the process like, all right, we have a script about a dog who does karate. Who who embodies that kind of physicality? Jackie Chan? Nope. <laughs> uh, Chevy Chase. Chevy, Chevy, Recent Chase. vintage Chevy Chase. That's who we get. Uh, uh, okay, so the, the final thing, I did a little digging on uh, in the comics when we found out Peter's parents were spies. It was actually fairly early. We found it in 1968 in the Amazing oh. Spider-Man Annual number 5. Wow. Um, and we also find out that his parents were, in fact, killed by the Red Skull. All right. So Love that. There you go. Um, well, perhaps, perhaps we'll find that out in, Star- in Spider-Man Homecoming. Uh, <clears throat> this, could be, this could be how we bring uh, the Red Skull back in, because, you know, I feel like it was fairly ambiguous whether or not he's dead. And, you know, if we want a way to, you know, rope Hugo Weaving back in... Let's uh, let's show us that uh, that they killed. I have no idea what Peter's parents' names Richard are. Richard and Mary Parkers. Parker. He killed them in World War II on top of a castle playing a With piano. A- they were so moved by his composition that they fell over and died. Uh, look, who, look who's talking now. Karate dog. Karate dog. No, I believe that Chevy Chase did it. Bingo. Karate Karate dog. Yeah. All right. Interestingly, he's not. Wait a minute. John Voight is is first build on Karate Dog, and Pat Morita is last build. (laughs) 
Didn't Pat Morita die several years ago? Yeah, Pat Morita's been dead probably close to a decade now. When is this movie made? Pat Morita died 11 years ago. <laughs> I thought... <laughs> Quick, find out when Maybe Karate Dog Maybe archive footage from uh, the... the... <laughs> From the the first... precursor to Karate Dog, Karate Kid. Yeah, or from oh, the first Dog. several episodes of uh, Happy Days. <laughs> oh, Karate Dog is uh, 2005 or 2004, oh. actually. So, all right, well, then oh, it... okay. I thought it was. Uh, I thought it was older, because uh, I first ran across it a couple of years ago. Uh, I was about to say. Oh, 2006. It says. All right. Oh my! Oh, Jamie whoa, Presley, whoa, whoa, Chevy whoa. Chase. A talking dog named Chocho. Teams up with a police detective named Peter. Oh. Profile uh, Puchinski. It's Puchinski, yeah. <laughs> Puchinski. Karate dog died on the way back to his home planet. You're a dog. I'm a ninja. <laughs> it's all hitting me now. <laughs> All right, guys. So the, we, we have Is that talked... a Dave Foley movie. There are Dave Foley movies I didn't know about. I I would just like to recommend. I I've seen this movie. Uh, I watched it okay. twice since the last time we podcasted. Uh, it is called The Wrong Guy, starring Dave Foley. It was released in Canada, and uh, Disney bought this. it for distribution in America and never distributed it. I think it, was, it may have shown in a couple of small like theaters. A preemptive strike. Like they didn't... <laughs> uh, I, as I understand it, the person who had purchased the film like left or was fired or something before distribution happened, something like that. I, I remember Dave Foley talking about it on a podcast. Um, I, I want right. to say it was Joe Rogan, but it might have been Marin or The Nerdist. Right. Uh, but I this... It's on Netflix. Th- this, it's not. Uh, I don't think it's available streaming anywhere. It was released on DVD well, both in um, the U.S. and Canada. But uh, the, the movie is called The Wrong Guy, and it is amazing uh i i didn't get the tone of it until like 10 or 15 minutes in and then i laughed the rest of the time that i was watching the film basically i don't want to oversell it but i really enjoyed it i will i will desperately seek this movie because mm. i fucking love it fully so. yeah I, I tried mentioning it to you via text several times but i didn't get any kind of real response <laughs> so our ah! our next our next <laughs> film is not The Wrong Man, starring David The Wrong Foley. Guy. The, the, the classic guy. Alfred Hitchcock <laughs> film, The Wrong Guy, starring David Q. Foley. Um, <laughs> it, it is instead uh, Iron Man 3, starring, uh, I almost said starring Shane Black, but that's not true, directed by Shane Black. So you can right. bet it'll be set at Christmas. You can bet that there'll be buddy comedies, possibly with one member of the team white and the other team black. You can bet that there will be explosions, and you can bet that Miguel Ferrer will be the vice president. Was that a reference to Amos and Andrew? <laughs> Shane Black do that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I I wouldn't know. I would also like to say this episode brought to you by Branzino. <laughs> Branzino, catch it. <laughs> Franzino and Bing and blue e-cigarettes. Franzino and Bing coming this fall to CBS. <laughs> All right, let's see. You're so a fish. A tough, I'm a cop. Uh, <laughs> it'll be a tough a Italian detective. A tough Italian detective named Branzino partners with Chandler Bing. 